Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 211. My name is Colin Moriarty. Today I'm joined by only one of my two sons, Dustin Furman, executive producer. Welcome. How are you today, my friend? I'm good. I, uh, I'm continuing my streak of some early rising. There was uh, some random yard sales on Thursday, which I don't like that. You know, we got to keep this relegated to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but... You know, if you want to get the deals, if you want to get the games, you got to go as soon as they're open. And I found nothing today. <laughs> Went yeah. to like three or four. I found absolutely nothing. But that's yeah, okay. Yeah. That happens. But no, uh, other than that, I'm good. It's fun. That's cool that you're doing doing that. It's uh, it's an exciting thing, I think, to have a new endeavor. Mm-hmm. This time for you to collect these games. And I don't know. I'm just not... Garage sale. See, if I was going to a garage sale... See, if I was angling to go to a garage sale... I would love for it to be on Thursday because you would assume that that would be inconvenient for a lot of people. So you would have less competition. That's true. Well, I was wondering is that, how do I say this in a polite way? A lot of the stuff at these yard sales today were more like 
older people putting on yard sales and they're mm. starting early on Thursday. There was mm. some cool, there was a, a couple toys that looked interesting. I saw a laser disc player, but it was a hundred oh, cool. bucks. And I yeah. was like, mm, that's a little, I kind of want one cause I have a few laser discs and I think it would be fun to have, but not for a hundred bucks. But so I don't know if there's any science behind like what kind of stuff is on different days because some yard sales are only Friday or Friday, Saturday. Some are only Saturday. So like there's all kinds of, uh, of options for that, but it's been fun. I, I find that yard sales and garage sales are inherently awkward by just what they are. You are going up to someone's home you are rooting around in their old stuff and you're eventually going to offer them less money that they're asking for it, like inevitably. And it's, I don't know, it's weird because I kind of think about it like it's a video game sometimes. It's like um, environmental storytelling. Like it's like, okay, they had uh, they had a few kids. Uh, they had, you know, maybe they were into golfing. Like you can tell a lot about a person just by simply walking around their yard sale. But it is overall awkward. I don't enjoy that aspect, but... Sometimes you got to suffer for uh, for the deals, you know. We had a few yard sales in, in the early and mid '90s, like garage sales at my house uh, on Long Island, and I remember making bank selling mm. toys. Now, of course, I'm just selling the toys that I would get for free, so of course it's a profit for me. Sure, but I would never, I never sold anything I really truly cared about. But I would usually sell like there were like these off things that I used to do sometimes. I collected Batman for a little while, I collected a bunch of Marvel shit for a little while. I'm like, I don't want this stuff. But what yeah. I wonder about that is. Does, did some because I remember some kids coming and buying them with their parents and whatever. And then is that like a toy that's like a nostalgic memory for them? Mm-hmm. You know, like a like two degrees separated from the origin as opposed to one. But I always kept my Star Wars stuff, always kept my G.I. Joe's and all and all. And I never sold my video games at a, at a garage sale either. I don't know why we had so much stuff. I'm a minimalist now, so mm-hmm. I never you know, I don't I don't want things in my house. Right. Now, we've gone, what, three and a half minutes or so, three minutes and in, in change. I haven't even mentioned Chris yet. It's a little rude. If I, if he's I have gone. To, if I, but he's, he is gone. <laughs> he's dead. Uh, so we we were. I was actually preparing for the show, and we got a text from him about a half an hour ago that he. Uh, well, we know that last week he had COVID, and uh, that was last week, right? On the last episode, regular episode, or was that yes. plus? I don't remember. But he he had fallen ill, and apparently he's he's taken worse. He's had taken a turn for the worse. He'll be totally fine, but he said his throat is really killing him and he just doesn't feel confident in his ability to do the show today, which is, it's fine. You know, take care of yourself and he'll be back hopefully next week. So thank you for your patience on that. But we have a lot to talk about on this episode of sacred symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Of course we go each and every week. You can get the show three days early ad free over on Patreon, patreon.com slash last stand media. Join thousands and thousands of your fellow last stand media, sacred symbols, defining Duke knockback fans. You can submit your questions, comments, concerns over there. Get that early ad-free access. Access to Sacred Symbols Plus, our supplemental podcast, twice a week. Recent episodes include a very popular episode that we just did with the five of us. Yes. So the two defining dukes and the three of us. all, And that went for more than two hours, about many a topic, PlayStation and Xbox related. So check that out. The Ashfall NFT games as a service. What Not even games as a service. It's not even in it. Web3 sort of conversation we had with... The guys from Lethos, John Garvin, Michael Mumbauer. That's live for all actually now on YouTube, but that's one of the episodes. Uh, did a call in episode recently. Did an episode with a Ukrainian gamer, a Russian gamer, Final Fantasy 14 primer, Quarry spoiler cast, PSVR deep dive, Super Perils making of lots of good stuff. So thank you for your support. I have to ask you, I don't I don't know if anyone wrote in about this. Maybe they did. But what did you think of? 
in, in hindsight, what did you think of the Ashfall conversation? It's been it's been interesting listening and reading, not listening, but reading the feedback on that, because we want to give a forum to anyone to say anything, really. I mean, and I mean that as loosely as as I think good taste will allow. I really do, mm-hmm. because I want to explore a lot of different things and ideas and philosophies and whatever. So I'm pretty I've said I've said recently that I've softened on cryptocurrency specifically after the Canadian banking freezes where I was like, Ooh, I don't like that. And right. so I, while I don't really believe in crypto as it exists right now, I understand the idea. And I think that that's an interesting, like an extra governmental financial system that has nothing to do with central banks. I think that that's interesting. Mm-hmm. NFTs. I'm way more skeptical about. I, I don't really see it. We argued against them a little bit on the show. However, my take on it in reflection is what I said on the show, Dustin, which is I kind of want to keep an open mind because it is possible that I don't really understand. And there's always two things, right? When you don't understand something, it's usually for one of two reasons. Either you don't understand it because you don't have the intellect, the knowledge, the capacity, whatever, to understand something. Like, I don't understand calculus because I don't understand all the foundational math underneath it. So I have no hope of understanding calculus. But there's another approach which could say, and this isn't true in calculus's term, but calculus's terms, but it's nonsense. That's the other reason why you might not understand something. And I've dealt with this wall with crypto for years now where I've been on this edge, this razor's edge where I'm like, I either don't get it or it doesn't make sense. And so what I said on the show was I want to just keep in terms of Ashfall in their game. I mean, I'm not interested in NFTs like the fucking ape NFTs and all that. I don't I, mean, I don't care. But in terms of what they're explaining, it's like before I'm going to I'm going to do this the situation a favor and reserve judgment until I have a use case. And I think that that right. was one of my major the, that was uh, what I would say was my only major complaint about the conversation was their inability to give us a use case. That's in kind of reflection. That's what I've realized. But I'm curious what your reflections tell you about that conversation. I think that like looking back on it, I I don't sense any ill intent from John and Michael. I saw you some people in the comments. They're like snake oil and stuff like that. I'm like, OK, chill out just a little bit. I I am still skeptical about its overall uses, I think, like you. And I was thinking about one aspect of the conversation that I believe it was Michael that was saying about this idea of like, well, what if you went and saw an Ashfall movie and then you were able to redeem something in game, which I was thinking about, like, that's already kind of something that you can do with codes or whatever. Like, that doesn't Ooh. need to be tied to some kind of blockchain. But, like, I think that's one of those things on a surface level that sounds cool uh, to some people, but it's also completely unappealing to others. Like, I'm kind of okay with my forms of entertainment being separated. Like, I don't need everything to connect everywhere in fact that's part of the reason why not that this is an exact one-to-one comparison but one of the reasons why i cannot care about marvel anymore is that it just demands too much like there's something everywhere there's like hey there's this tv show there's this movie there's this comic book and they're doing that with star wars now too because i know that as they do more and more star wars shows it's just like this is all that it becomes this web and for people that are very into it and very dedicated, I'm sure that that is an, a very rewarding experience, but it pushes people away like me who are either a like saturated on that type of content or B just don't like it enough to be that involved. So 
I don't know. I think I want to, I'm still very skeptical, but I, I think I want to fall on the same camp as you that it's like, we haven't seen anyone do this or implement this. So why not? I mean, at this point, let someone do it and prove us wrong at this point. And maybe there's something there and maybe it is just kind of a, a money scheme. But like you said, we don't know until we can see it. So we just have to wait. I just the op there is no optimist to me. That's a ridiculous thing to say. But the optimistic <laughs> side of me, I guess I want to say <laughs> I'm I've had many moments in my life since I was a kid all the way through my adulthood to today where I've had the what I would call the Walter White Jesse, what the fuck are you talking about moment? Right mm-hmm. now on the other end of that moment of that moment is either again something incomprehensible or something nonsensical. And I just know that over and over again in my life, in all of our lives, I've met things and seen things where I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then there it is, you know, and I'm sure I mean, you. it's so funny going back. There was a famous Barron's Barron's is the financial magazine. There's a famous cover of it with Amazon and like a cartoon of Jeff Bezos, like holding a bomb. And it says Amazon dot bomb during the the, the oh, dot com yeah. crisis, like being like it's over right and Amazon is the biggest thing that's anyone's ever seen today so I'm just saying that even the smartest people even the most well-intentioned people like you said there's either sense or nonsense on the other side of it and I just don't know mm. I don't know I I, I I don't one one thing people were saying to me or said said to me was that you made the argument against like scalping and all of that and yet someone said something like you I should have come in and backed you up but I, that I kind of took the side against you on that And I was like, because that's not an adequate answer as to why it doesn't work, because Mm -hmm. I do think it's a good answer to say, like, everyone scalps everything. It has nothing. You know, so we need to find different ideas and solutions and problems. And I don't know that I'm like intellectually sophisticated enough in in tech to even be able to let me say it this way, Dustin. Mm -hmm. I look at things now and I'm like, I don't need anything. I don't need you to do anything. I like things exactly the way they are. And I've sure. said that for most of my life as I use the newest and newest technologies. I have the newest consoles and I get a smartphone and I blah, 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 blah. Does that make sense to you? So, yeah, with this, I'm just trying to be like, maybe, maybe I don't know. But the, the one thing I wanted to address, though, is, you know, you, you had brought up them being snake oil salesmen. And that's what people had been. Some people had said, not you. Right. And I want to take issue with that as well. Some people said something like, you know, Hassan Karaman energy. And I'm like, guys, Michael Mumbauer shipped triple A PlayStation games as the head of a design and, and an art studio. John Garvin created a bunch of games you play have played and wrote them. They're not just dudes that have no idea what they're talking about. That's what's so interesting about it. Because they're not snake oil salesmen. They're not outsiders to this. I think the one danger that they have, maybe, I mean, they don't have danger with me. I like those guys professionally and personally, but they might have, they might be in some sort of danger of being some sort of vector where NFTs insert themselves in the games and people look at them and say, like, what are you doing here? You know, right. Like legit people. And that's a danger. But I think they know that they're not stupid. So. I I think it's a really interesting topic. People should go listen to the conversation. It's 100 minutes long, I think. So, 
Yeah, it was an interesting, and it's funny thinking back to it because there's things that through thinking about it, and I, this is just normal when you do an interview, there's kind of like things that you wish you would have said or whatever. And it's not like I'm trying to like, both of us aren't trying to like, be completely argumentative we're mainly just trying to have a, have a conversation i was never i'm never trying to be argumentative on our show personally right yeah and I, I was thinking about that the idea of like the scalping well it's like people scalp everywhere and it's like well they don't right i mean they do in games when it comes to physical purchases but it's like you and i can go buy a copy of returnal and it's the same copy and we can have the same experiences within the game and now we want to introduce an economy within those even further than we already have that can create the has and has nots, which it's already an expensive hobby. So it's like, do we really want to do that? Do we want to create this uh, sub ecosystem of buying and selling within some of our favorite games? It's uh, it creates, um, I don't know. It's like games are supposed to be fun and I don't know if that will be fun for everybody. If I were a consultant on Asheville, I'm not. But and I would tell you guys if I was I'm, I don't consult on anything that we talk about on the show um, or haven't. If that ever happens, then we'll obviously say so. But if I were consulting on this project specifically with Michael, what I would tell them is that what I think they should do is position this marketplace or whatever sort of financial stakes they're placing into the game as a new way to fund the project. In other mm. words, appeal. If you want to get away from the grubbiness of it, appeal to the gamer to the sense to the sensibility of the gamer that says, like, listen, we all know game costs are getting out of control. We come from an environment that had the highest possible quality levels and our own CEO on his way out said our own games are getting too bloated. Our own games are becoming too expensive. Our own games are unsustainable. And you see that new direction at that company now un unveiling. And what I would say is, like, we want to figure out if we can make a more sustainable. In-game economy that people buy into can buy, trade, sell, whatever, and we'll have use case X, Y, and Z for it that will keep the game alive for a cheaper amount of money, maybe a longer period of time, less buy-in, less investment, less fear, more ability to do transmedia, more ability to take risks and let it grow. I think they just need to figure out a better way to talk about it. And they will, I'm sure. Uh, smart guys. So, But I, I like the idea. I, I, what I said to John during the conversation is, I was kind of too hard on the story idea because it's like, oh, another post-apocalypse. And, and when Colin Moriarty saying that the fucking king of the post-apocalypse, you know that yeah. <laughs> things are getting bad because I would just eat that shit up constant basis. But I do love the global warming angle. That's totally there's only one other game I can think of that even does that. And that's Spec Ops, the line. So I, I love that instead of being like nuclear war. Uh, outbreak asteroid they even have like volcanoes and stuff which is cool i don't really know anything any many games that do that either but the global warming thing like you're fucked because of global warming that's cool i right. dig i dig and the other thing to do with marvel and star wars i just gotta say i totally agree with you uh i wrote that on my notes here i wanted to make sure i said that it's just people will say well marvel was always like that because it's a, a constellation of comics and i'm like yeah i get that that's true mm -hmm. but it does seem impossible to keep right. up with it's not inherently bad. I've had people tell me like, Dustin, you like Kingdom Hearts and there's like 30 games that make no sense that all interconnect. I'm like, yes, I'm fine with it because I'm into it. Like, it's cool. I'm very into that. But Kingdom Hearts is not approachable from someone who wants to play one, two and three. That is potentially a negative aspect. So I don't know. It's cool, uh, but it gates people off in some instances. And 
you know, I'm glad we have properties like that that can do it, but not all of them will be for everybody. Okay, let's see what else we have here. Oh, merch. I wanted to say a quick pack, uh, question, or ta. Why can't I speak? Probably because I'm a little stoned right now. Colin Farrell wrote in. Not the Colin Farrell. This is important. Mm. What if it was, though? It would be awesome. I do wonder, (laughs) does anyone, there are famous people that do listen to the show, like athletes and stuff I do know. I think I told you, there's a pretty famous MLS player that listens to the show and a few Mm. others, but yeah, I do wonder. Reach out. Tell me. Reach out. But uh, Colin Farrell with two L's wrote wrote in and said, hello, Sacred Symbols crew. I just wanted to write in and give a shout out to the new merch store. This week, I received my Pope sticker packed nicely in a small brown envelope and addressed by hand. Inside was your usual thank you card. But to my surprise, there was also a little handwritten joke from Micah about my name. All of this for my lowly four dollar sticker. So little things that make so much difference. And it's these little things that makes me such a huge fan of you three and everyone at last stand. Anyways, I love the content. Had a great time in Richmond. And with any luck, maybe you'll be live in my relative area again soon. Keep on keeping on. Thank you, Colin, with two L's for writing in. Appreciate it. Merch laststandmedia.store. Things are going well. Shout out to Micah, who's doing a really great job of getting all, managing all that and getting all that out. Of course, Dustin doing a lot of back end work. So thank you to you as well. The design work, all that. Remember, free shipping on all stickers. We have a ton of stickers over there. More coming there. Dustin's holding one up. I have the and, holographic one. And the, we have. Yeah, we have lots of stuff. We have uh, shirts galore, etc. And we'll have more. We're, we're oh. going to be dumping more and more. Oh, I'm sorry. Please. I want to mention these, too, just because I don't know if we talked about them at all. Not to be a plug, but I'm going to plug. We got these transfer stickers. If you're watching the video, you can see I have it transferred onto my laptop. And uh, I think they're super cool. You could put them on like a, a pint glass. You could put them on your car. You just stick it on and then like push it and then peel the back off. And you've got yourself a nice little moon logo wherever you want. You could put it on your back or you know on a baby or whatever i mean you can put it literally anywhere so someone someone i want to say it was in spokane tweeted a picture of us of to us that i saw of like a light post in a in like a parking lot with the sticker one of the stickers on it oh that was just i so i i I say i don't want to get too carried away but stick those things places man i mean that's it would be cool like well you know you don't want to do like and don't stick it on your neighbor's mailbox Right. I'm saying if you're <laughs> if you're like in a target parking lot, stick it on a light post. Yeah, yeah. that's OK. I, I think that's totally fine. Do it and let others know that you've been there. I want to see smug Maddie stickers in all Walmart parking lots around the yeah. United States. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. 
or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Okay. Let's get into a couple of things we need to talk about. The audience, of course, wrote in with glorious input. And uh, you can do so on patreon.com slash Media. BMJ614 wrote in about just that topic, though. He says, hey, CDC, just wondering, can we get a peek on how the sausage is made? <clears throat> Meaning, what's the process of picking questions for these threads uh, or from these threads? I'm sorry. As Colin says, around the time to read the questions, there are usually up to 200 questions. Do you all have interns read them uh, all or do you all presumably Colin pick them at random? Out of the many questions I asked, I only got literally one of them read on the show live. Please break the magician's number one rule and let us in on the secret of the magic trick per se. Uh, I will do so now. I read them all. I do read them all. Now, there's there's uh, I'm not like carefully reading everything, but I'm reading them and then I'm copying what I want into a topic. So I get the document here. Here's what I do. I'm just going to tell everyone what I do. OK, do it. What tell I do them. is we, we have a document that and everyone gets everyone mad because I delete it and write over it every week. So it's there's just one document. And I just delete it and write over it every week. And it's organized like this. It says intro at the top and then it says Patreon, Discord, etc. And underneath it, it says sacred symbols plus and then things in parentheses, recent topics. Then there's a merch link. And then I start putting t- what I call topics of discussion. And I paste what you guys say here. And there are also news items that I intersperse through this part as well. Then the news pops. Oh, I'm sorry. Then what we're playing pops up and we each write what we're playing and have in- questions there. And then I write the news out underneath that in order. So. After all that happens, I start grabbing things from the thread. And so someone writes in about a topic that we're talking about. Boom. If it's a good one, throw it in underneath the question. So it's ready to go right after that. Put kind of put it all in order. And I try to read and get eyes on everything. There are a few things you should note. If you if your thing's too long, I just scan over it and, and go to the next one because I'm not going to read it. And not because of any disrespect, but because no one wants to me to read a 700 word inquiry. And uh the other thing you should note is that I you have to be topical, well-written, pithy, like we say, get in and out. And I also try to keep a rotisserie in my mind of names that I've used. If I see a new name, I try to I try to get them involved. I definitely have this probably unconscious bias towards certain people, but it's because they write the best questions. And so right. if you hear a person's name over and over again on the show, I would go into the thread and see what they're writing personally. The other thing is, is that there's probably a slight bias the earlier you get into the thread. Not because I don't read all the way through, but because eventually every topic is touched on by someone pretty sufficiently. And so if you're the 150th topic or question and it's about the last of us, quite chances are you're 20th at that point. So anyway, does Colin, that make sense? I have a question for Please. you. Please. I know the answer to this, but we get asked this all the time. So I think we should just say it on the air. Where's the question thread? Yes. Where is it? Where yes. is it? Yes. I put this. I understand some people don't know this. It's explained on Patreon and it's in your introductory email when you you sign up. But I understand some people don't read that stuff. So that's totally fine. On our news feed on Patreon, threads go live every week for all the shows. Sometimes I put up a bunch of knockback threads at once. Sometimes this, sometimes that Sacred Symbols Plus episodes, one offs Defining Duke gets theirs. But every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time, a thread goes live for Sacred Symbols. And that thread is live for about 24 hours. That's when you have a chance to go into the thread and input your inquiry. 
And then when I'm done with it, I delete it, which is why a lot of I know it seems like a mistake people because people like I can't find it. But I'm like, it's stopping people from submitting when it's too late, because what I used to do was post at the bottom and say, like, okay, it's over. But then people just keep posting because they're not reading it. You know, they're just posting. So I was like, eventually, I'm like, I got to delete this to save you guys time because some people, you know, you're wasting your time. So that's how it works. But I answer every DM on Patreon and someone DMs a question every day, at least once to us. And I just instruct them to go to the to the news feed. So it's no big right. deal. OK, so thank you anyway out there for writing in. Hope that makes a little sense. I have some interesting information here from Kaylin Parker. She wrote writes in and says, hello, gentlemen. My husband and I just welcomed our son into the world. He is our first and one of our uh, one of the nurses we had was so excited about his name due to the video game reference. I gave my husband permission to write in months ago to have all of you rate his name choice, but he keeps forgetting our name. Our son is Dante Alucard. What do you think? So Dante, presumably Devil May Cry, although it could be Dante from Dante's Inferno from EA on PS3. And I'm sure it's not, though. And uh, Alucard, of course, Dracula's half vampire, vampire, half human son. Dracula spelled backwards. What do you uh, what do you think of this name, Kalen? Uh, coming in in the clutch, if if I'm yeah. being honest, I like Dante a lot because you know you want to have the right balance. At least for me, when I hear names, it's like if it's too obscure or too weird, I find it annoying. But if it's just unique enough, but not too uncommon, like kind of uncommon, that's like the sweet spot. You know, and Dante, I feel like, you know, you, you've heard of someone named Dante. If these were swapped around and his first name was Alucard, I'd be like, eh, you know, but a middle yeah, name that's... is cool because you don't talk about your middle name all right. the time. It just right. comes out here and there. And that's like a cool thing at a party to be like, my middle name's Alucard. I would think that's cool. Hopefully this, uh, this, you know, this young lad is not embarrassed by it in any way because he should be proud. That's a cool middle name for sure. Yeah, that's serious gaming cred to have. Because Alucard isn't something from like Bram Stoker or anything like that. That's a Castlevania reference straight up. It's not like everything else in in Castlevania. That's some sort of often awesome bastardization of old Victorian fiction and all of that. So shout out, Kalen. Well done. And uh, shout out for, you know, your (laughs) you were pregnant. And your husband was too lazy to write in and you ended up writing in. After the kid was born. I want that to sink in. Let that sink in. As the old meme says. Thank you for writing it. Bobby Strawn wrote in and said, Hey, D equals CM squared. Not today, unfortunately. I'm relatively new to the show, so I've been listening to new new episodes and going through the old ones just for fun. I have to say you guys have greatly expanded my vocabulary with unfamiliar words like deleterious, accoutrements, capricious, and chagrin. It's especially impressive considering that Chris can't even read. Thanks for keeping my work days entertaining. It seems a little mean that Chris was, isn't here to protect himself. Yeah. <laughs> that was going to be funnier when Chris was going to be here. Right. To protect himself. But I'm glad that, you know, I love WordCraft personally. Reader, writer. I'm surprised more people aren't into it. I think that sometimes people look at, not the way I speak because I, I don't speak that sophisticated, in that sophisticated of a way, but some people look at sophisticated or I don't know more high-end obscure language to be a put-off or whatever but I think it's cool when people explore the language find new ways to say things and not just repeat the same shit over and over again so I'm glad that that's shown through to you Bobby thank you for writing in 
Anthony wrote in and said, hi, guys, this is mainly a comment for Colin. I think it was about four or five weeks ago in an episode of Sacred when you set when your new shelves were pointed out to us and that bottle of pledge was first displayed so beautifully. It hasn't moved and you said it wouldn't. So you're a man of your word. And I appreciate that. That's all. Thank you. There it is. Right. There. See, here's the thing, I don't Colin. think it has moved. Yeah, we got to get these shelves set up. I'm telling you as a, I don't know. Can I tell you to do any of this producer? Like, here's the thing. It's it's fine. You were in kind of like an in-between state, but now you have your I mean, I don't want to say junk, but we'll say random stuff lit up on display now. <laughs> like it's literally lit up. And I'm like, dude, I'm thinking it's not that it looks horrible. I'm just thinking about the potential. It's, yeah, oh no, of the, the potential the potential's amazing. I mean the potential yeah. is amazing. It is. It's funny. Now I just I have just things <laughs> lit up beautifully on these custom made shelves behind me. Yeah. No, you're right. I have to get it through. So here's the thing. Actually it's so funny because my my friend Kenny who is was a listener of the show. He is a listener of the show, but we became personal friends. He's a a toy dealer. He owns a toy store in mm-hmm. the middle of the country, and he's the guy I trade a bunch of my shit to. And so we're personal friends. One of that, like, one, like I said, one in a thousand people that I end up being personal friends with in some way. He just emailed me actually about Mega Man toys, and um, he's been trying to get me to kind of figure out my collection, organize it so that I can fill in the holes because I have complete potential. I'm within an arm's grasp, basically, of having a complete G.I. Joe collection of, of figures over here. Whoa. And th- there's like 500 and something of them. The thing is, is I have thousands and thousands of figures in these various boxes and all the shit all over the place. And I just don't want to go through them. I thought that it was going to be fun to organize all of it, like to really figure out what I have. But I think that that's too much. What I really want to do is just clean them and put them together and kind of get them nice. But I don't want to sit there and document them. And so I think I'm gonna just going to pay my nephews to do it. They're kind of nerds. They're not kind of nerds. They are nerds. And they have a like for G.I. Joe because their dad was a G.I. Joe fan, too. And they're into toys and all this kind of stuff. So I'm going to sit them down and just be like, I'll just pay you guys X amount of money. You just tell me what I have. That's all you have to do is just have an organized list of everything that I have. And here is the book and here's yojo.com, et cetera. And so on. I think that'll be pretty fun for them. And, uh, you know, use the labor of the young children just like they used to back in the day before labor laws became a thing. Better what times. A mistake. What a mistake. <laughs> when they had a little seven-year-old kids climbing up your chimney. Yeah, you know, in the, the coal mines, you know, mm-hmm. just coming out like covered mm-hmm. in in coal dust, just coughing anything up. No problem. Why do you think people They're have young. so many kids? Yeah. So they can work. All right. <laughs> Where am I here in this? <laughs> All right, here we are. Miguel A. Brewer wrote in and said, hi, boys. All right, so now we got a, a couple corrections, a couple of things from the last show. All I right. wanted to write in with what I wouldn't consider a correction, but more a gentle reminder. So this is this is interesting because we were talking about game rentals and the potential of game rentals last week. And Miguel brings up a good point. He says the reminder is that PlayStation now originally allowed rentals on the platform. Games fell into one of three categories, the ones that had to be rented a la carte, regardless of if you subscribed or not. Games that could only be accessed if you paid the monthly subscription fee and the games that were included as part of the subscription library. But Sony allowed you to rent them individually if signing up for a monthly fee wasn't your style. Just wanted to toss this out there. So the next time someone asks about digital rentals, well, no PlayStation tried and failed to find a market for it. Love the content and wish you all the best. Yeah, this is true. I totally did forget about this. PlayStation now, it's funny. It doesn't exist anymore, but it's so old. I'm pretty sure PlayStation mm-hmm. now launched in like 2012 or something like that. And um, so there are a lot of different things that happened over time with it. Right. Because it came to 
2014. Yeah, right. January 20th, 2014. In the January 2014. Okay, yes. That sounds about right. Here it is. And yeah, so a lot of different over... So about eight years, seven and a half years, there were some experiments. Um, what was in 2012? Oh, that must have been Gaikai getting purchased. Yeah, so... So that is enough time for them to have all these different experiments. And you're right. I mean, I went and looked and, and um, you could rent on PlayStation now. So thank you for writing in. The Fury 4815 wrote in and said, hey, CDC. Last week when you guys were talking about collector's editions coming with digital codes and an empty steel case book or steel book case, I'm sorry. I think the reason why is simple. They don't want they don't have to make two different versions for digital only PS5 owners. What do you guys think? So this was something in a way that Dustin brought up a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this. However, what he's saying, I wanted to I wanted to kind of delve in on this a little bit because what he's saying is like what a lot of people say, but I don't think it makes sense. Because to, to catch people up, we were wondering aloud why God of War Ragnarok and other collections don't come with physical games. And I was saying that, that it's almost certainly because of just manufacture uh, of the game. It's too late to put the game in the box. And so they have a code that they know will be affixed to it when it's uploaded digitally and it all works out then. And some people were saying, but like, what about digital owners that want the collection? But this doesn't make sense to me for two reasons. One major reason and one minor reason. And I'm curious what you think of this, Dustin. The major reason why this doesn't make any sense is why the fuck would a digital version only version come with a steel case at all? That doesn't make any sense. And the second reason is and, and so that's the, the really compelling reason. The less compelling reason is that I would imagine the crossover between people that want physical editions of games and and eschew physical copies of games is minimal it seems like if you don't want shit cluttering your shelf you're not going to want a special edition hammer on your shelf i'm sure right. that's not a one-to-one -one thing but i bet you no, no doubt about it that people that like physical games or have a better propensity to buy collector's editions so do those two things line up for you that doesn't because people are saying like well what about people that don't want the game but i'm like but they're getting a case it doesn't even make any sense yeah. that doesn't make any sense they're getting a case with no game in it right and they're well, getting a, a so they have to go get the game to have or it's just like a thing you put on your shelf for what reason it doesn't make any sense so yeah yeah i'm in agreement i think that i mean going back to what uh i don't know if it was me or somebody said last week i think the optimal solution is to stop releasing it with the game as silly as it sounded when i think it was wolfenstein one of those games did it it makes a lot of sense that it's like just release a special cell I don't know what to call it celebration package something launch launch package or whatever that has all of the shit from a special edition in it and don't include the game and then owners of uh, people that want it digitally can just go buy it digitally and they can have all of that stuff or if you want the disc you can go get it for either PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5 whatever you have whatever you want and then you could still inside that put like your codes for your you know different skins or outfits or whatever that seems like the optimal solution but instead we're getting steel books with nothing in them just it makes no sense to me but i don't know steelbook people are really really into them and go hard trying to collect these so maybe it doesn't matter to them maybe it's just about that piece of metal you know like yeah it's just strange it, it is strange though because it requires you like it punishes the super fan because the super fan gets the steel book gets the digital code code and then has to go buy a 70 dollars physical game to put in the case mm -hmm. that they already bought so i totally get why people are confused about it but again i'll say what i said last week about norse air 
they'll sell you anything and you will buy it and they know it mm-hmm. and I know it and Dustin knows it and you know it. So if you really want them to stop doing weird shit, stop buying their shit. But it's easy to say when they're making what thousands of these probably, you know, very few compared to the millions of copies of games they're going to sell. Someone in there is going to buy them. And so they don't have to really listen to that sort of that sort of feedback either, which is unfortunate because it is nonsensical. And my solution to this would simply be we have to. I, I can picture it in my head. You have a warehouse full of complete collector's editions and they're all flapped. They're all closed. But when you but they're not sealed. And when they're opened, there's just a, a place where you can drop a case into it and then shut it and then seal it. And that's what you have to do. That's the kind of shit you have to do to have a great product. You know, it's right. not it's just, it, I don't think people realize how much the physical touches in all the boxes they open and all the zip ties that they're undoing and all the plastic bags are opening. Like These were all done by people on assembly lines. You know, a lot of the shit was. And and you can see there are little stickers and all these little things on it. And so, like, what's just one more step? I don't get it. I just don't get it. Right. But enjoy your Norse air. I know that you will. I have to introduce you to the story of Delson Booker, unfortunately. I I'm, I can already see it. He says, hey, slitter shitters. <laughs> a girl I've been seeing invited me over to her apartment to watch a movie. And naturally, it became more than that. Without getting into the nitty gritty, we ended up on our couch in the nude. But suddenly the movie started to get really good. It was a Nicolas Cage <laughs> film called The Color Out of Space. And I didn't know what I didn't know it when it started. But it was a cosmic horror film which is a favorite genre of mine. We ended up sitting on our couch to finish the movie before continuing our escapade. I'm sorry. But when I got up to get some snacks, I noticed I had left a giant poop stain on our couch. Luckily, it was dark in the room, so only I noticed it, but I knew that eventually she would either see it or I'd have to find a way to clean it before she turned the lights back on. She went to the restroom soon thereafter, thank God, and I hurried into the kitchen to find cleaning supplies, but I wasn't quite quick enough. She came out of the restroom to find me spraying her couch and dabbing it with a washcloth still in the nude, by the way. I came clean about the situation and we both laughed about it, but I'm still worried about what kind of long-term effect this will have on our relationship. Could this be my Joker moment? What do you think? Wow. So <laughs> I only saw the, the slitter shitter at the beginning, but I, that was my first time hearing that in its entirety. And, uh, wow, there's so many questions. There's just so many questions. <laughs> I mean, okay. I think the, the, first of all, the most obvious one is that why is there poop present still around your butthole when you're hanging out here? Are you not wiping good enough? Are you not using a bidet as your boy Dustin recommends? I mean, at the very least, did you did you like not have a, a bad fart or something that didn't go quite as planned? I just um, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a little anal about my cleanliness. Oh, oh down there. But yeah. I can't imagine uh, how this could be, po- at least in my reality. I can't imagine unless there is a slip up of some kind. And then, I mean, there's other questions like, so there was no, you know, you got naked and then and then nothing happened. So that's kind of already a weird situation. And then I, I don't know. Colin, please save me here. <laughs> What's, what's going I on? I don't know if I can save you. I just. I appreciate the candor. I appreciate if you're being truthful about the woman's response. And why wouldn't you be? I think. Listen, I've we've all known people, both genders with sticks up their ass, no doubt. 
but I've known so many funny girls, so many funny women in my life. And I can imagine many of them finding that situation funny. If a person likes you, then it's not going to be something like that's so superficial, really, at the end of the day. I'm a little more concerned, though, of why your ass was so shitty. Yes. See, like I say, I I am naked often. And as everyone knows, I sleep like Winnie the Pooh, as people like to tell me. I sleep with a T-shirt on and no underwear and no pants. That's how I sleep. Mm -hmm. I'm not waking up with shit stains in my bed. Never. (laughs) That's never happened. So I don't I'm a little concerned like you kind of glossed over that, but that actually might be the most essential part of the story. Why is your ass so shitty? Yeah. Clean Clean your ass, ass, dude. Clean the ass. Man, this is just. I mean, okay, Colin, here's the thing. Here's the thing, too, is that we're talking about a shitty ass here and it must have been so shitty yeah. That he just had to be present on the couch. It's not like, I don't know, is it possible that a, a section of the couch got tucked up in there? I mean, that seems a bit extreme you for, could for see, something to go that far. You could see that he would sit and maybe the, the cheek, I'm kind of mm. trying to do it on a video, the cheeks would spread, you know? Sure. So that the sure. ass would be, I, I could see that. Maybe he was, <sighs> couches can be very cushy and so like it's gonna, I can get, I get that, but I just... I'm just telling you, I've I've been naked on a couch having sex. I didn't get shit on it. Mm. Mm. I don't understand. I don't understand that. I so, almost don't believe this story. Like, it seems mm. it seems so wow, this insane is a, to me. I'm not yeah, calling okay. him a liar. Yet. You're a skeptic. You're a skeptic. I'm skeptical. Yeah. If this is your day to day. You know, is this is this how you live your life? Is this uh, the level of cl- I mean, surely I feel like there would be some kind of medical issues that would eventually come of this level of um, non-cleanliness or whatever. Uh, I don't know. I'm concerned at this point now more than anything. So I do want to watch that movie. <laughs> I've heard that's a good movie, uh, that, that Nick Cage movie. So uh, let me know if it was good. And let us know more about your hygiene, please. Let us know if it was good or let us know if it was shitty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow, feeling good today. Let's get into some uh, topics of discussion. Yeah. Some little pieces of news. I want to start at the top here with just a brief piece of news from Bandai Namco, who themselves released a letter from Japan. And it says the following titled regarding unauthorized access to Bandai Namco group companies in Asia regions, excluding Japan. Dated July 13th on July 3rd, 2022, it reads. Bandai Namco Holdings Inc. confirmed that it experienced an unauthorized access by third party to the internal systems of several group companies in Asian regions, excluding Japan. After we confirm this unauthorized access, we have taken measures such as blocking access to the servers to prevent the damage from spreading. In addition, there is a possibility that customer information related to the toys and hobbies business in Asian regions, excluding Japan. It says that over and over again, by the way, which is yeah. funny, was included in the servers and PCs. And we are currently identifying the status about existence of leakage, scope of the damage and investigating the cause. We will continue to investigate the cause of this incident and we will disclose the investigation results as appropriate. And they offer them their sincerest apologies, etc. So we have someone wrote in about this. Ian Savage wrote in. Said, hey, CC and big, big D with the data leak coming from Bandai Namco. I am wondering how much validity we can attribute to it. If true, it seems safe to assume that from software's next game is indeed Armored Core. But what's strange is how late into 2023 that will get DLC from Elden Ring. Does Q3 2023 seem too late or is that just a placeholder? 
What do you guys think? Either way, I'll be excited to jump back in Elden Ring best from the Northwest. Thank you, Ian, for writing in. Now, I did a little research on this, and I, I, I don't know, Dustin, if you had heard anything about this, but I can't find that any tangible information has come from the leak. Now, right. I don't know if that's true or not, but no one that I trust is writing about these leaks that you're talking about, Ian. They're writing about Bandai Namco releasing a statement, but I'm not seeing much on trusted sources unless I'm missing it, which I could be. That indicates this game's coming next, this game's coming next, this game's coming next after that. Very much like what happened with Capcom, although we kind of forgot about that. Um, I don't think it was through a hack, but remember, we we, we know all the games that are coming because of uh, something, some disclosure. So I don't think that that's true. And I thought I read a couple of stories saying that it's not accurate, that the leaks are not accurate. Right. There's, so uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I, was, I think that they're referring to a specific image. Have you seen the, the image that has like the the timeline for the next year? Basically, no. no. So, yeah, that's the main thing I've seen go around. And it has it has uh, I think it's what uh, what uh, Ian is referring to is just like Armored Core, Elden Ring DLC, a new Tekken game. There was something else on there too. Little Nightmares 3. Uh, and the, the thing about it is what I was looking is that some of the mock-ups were identified on other places of the internet, like a fan-made mock-up, something like that. It also had a new Tales game on there for next year, which I know Tales games used to come out pretty regularly, but not. I wouldn't think that there would be a new one next year in our current development cycle of games being more to like, more like three to five years, but maybe. But I'm pretty sure that overall that that is not been true and like you said we haven't seen any one official come out of the woodworks to say like yeah this is true this isn't so overall though not a good uh look for bandai right now bandai namco it, this is interesting though i've never seen this where the link that you put in our document is just like the most plain letter usually oh, when yeah. you see a letter like this that's yeah. like we got our logo on here we've got all this stuff and this is plain text it says end of notice at the end. It's like, yeah, very it's almost serious. Like, it's like this would look like something. This document looks like something someone made up. Right. Like that has no idea what anything looks like, but it actually lives on Bandai Namco.co.jp. <laughs> so, right. It's not fake. I always in, a, in the lead, I always try to go to the original source. I always look for press releases first. And this is the press release. This is it. But dated the same day as the press release. Very trusted source and friend of the show. Video Games Chronicle doesn't write about this at all, any of these leaks in their story and have not written about these leaks yet. So while potentially true, I, I think they need to be vetted because it's very easy to make shit up. And um, I imagine we, I, I've seen convincing images of so many things in the past. Do you remember back when NeoGAF was still like huge when Wii U was like a, a, a now, well, maybe it was like revealed, but we didn't see oh. it yet or something. And remember, there was a picture at Ubisoft Massive, I think, and there was an image of a window, and there was a reflection of the console in the image or in the window, or someone thought, and they did all this crazy shit, but it was just nothing at hmm. all. And that's what I'm just saying. Like you just, it's the internet, right? It's the yeah. internet. It's yeah, a great story. It, I love that story. Especially now with more and more like people can use Photoshop and mock-ups or whatever. I mean, this is just something that someone made up pretty easily, but it's a, it's surprising the amount of convincing stuff that people can make. So keep your eyes peeled because you never know what's real and what's fake out there. Indeed. I mean, 
I, you really can't ever know the veracity of a source truly and fully because things change, plans change. Things I've said in the past have were wrong or have been wrong or will be wrong because plans change. Not usually from deception. And that's what you kind of have to be more wary of out there. Right. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay. This just happened before we started recording the show. Sony has announced an initiative called PlayStation Stars, which is a little bit of a strange name, but here's what they say about it on the PlayStation blog via executive Grace Jen, uh, Chen. I'm sorry. It says, quote, Throughout our company's 27-year history, we have been continually moved by how meaningful gaming experiences can create fond, lifelong memories for players. All of us at PlayStation take special joy in creating unique products and experiences that delight our fans. This includes everything from our consoles and critically acclaimed games to community challenges such as Seize the Throne and Treat Codes to digital and live events, including State of Play. Today, I'm pleased to reveal PlayStation Stars, a brand new loyalty program that celebrates you, the player, for being on this ever-growing gaming journey with us. PlayStation Stars will be free to join when it launches later this year. Once you become a member, you'll earn rewards by completing a variety of campaigns and activities. Our monthly check-in campaign simply requires you to play any game to receive a reward, while other campaigns require you to win tournaments, earn specific trophies, or even be the first player to platinum a blockbuster title in your local time zone. All PlayStation Stars members will have opportunities to earn loyalty points. Points can be redeemed in a catalog that may include PSN wallet funds and select PlayStation Store products. As an additional benefit, PlayStation Plus members enrolled in PlayStation Stars automatically earn points for purchases on PlayStation Store. Also, as part of PlayStation Stars, we are unveiling a new type of reward called Digital Collectibles. Collectibles are diverse, as diverse as our portfolio of products and franchises. They are digital representations of things that PlayStation fans enjoy, including figurines of beloved and iconic characters from games and other forms of entertainment, as well as cherished devices that tap into Sony's history of innovation. There will always be a new collectible to earn, an ultra-rare collectible to strive for, or something surprising to collect just for fun. And there's more if you want to go to PlayStation Blog and read about it. It's important to note, in a Washington Post interview with Grace Chen, Sony explicitly says those collectibles are not NFTs. They are not tradable. They are not sellable. They are not buyable. So it's important. Let's just nip that in the bud. They're not NFTs. Whether or not you like that or not, they came right out. They should have said it more. Um, explicitly in the document, but maybe they don't even want to bring that attention to it because it really doesn't when you think about it, it really doesn't sound like NFTs. It sounds like something you earn. PlayStation Star is a loyalty program. Dustin, what do you think? So I have a few thoughts. First of all, this sounds similar to what Nintendo does with their rewards program, which has always been pretty dang good. I remember like being in 
high school and scouring like we my Wii games and stuff like that in order to get the codes in order to get points because there was some awesome stuff that you could redeem like really nice posters uh like some uh, a bag for your 3ds stuff like that and so to see playstation come in and do something like this is awesome because it doesn't cost us anything and it's just like an extra little benefit and incentive to play on playstation so that's really cool i'm curious about how they will implement some of these different aspects specifically like be the first person to platinum a game with reviewers getting a game early sometimes people platinum a game before it comes out and so you you got to wonder they have to have some kind of like window parameter that it's like the the platinum has to be earned after midnight or or the first bronze the first bronze needs to be earned after a certain time or whatever yeah that's the best way to do it yeah now colin tell me what you think about this Digital collectibles. We already covered that this isn't NFTs, but what is the platform for yeah. these digital collectibles? Home. Exactly. It's it's all lining up, which is good because I'm excited because this is the one thing that I feel like I've predicted since I've been on the show from the beginning is that PlayStation Home would eventually come back. And this I feel like perfectly spells out like, yeah, if the if PlayStation Home is the platform, the social space for PlayStation VR 2. Imagine if you could earn all of these cool, like this is this statue of Kratos. You can only get it if you platinum God of War Ragnarok. And then you have this awesome statue in your uh, apartment or whatever, your house in PlayStation Home, something like that. All kinds of cool stuff. I feel like that's really neat. And the fact that it's not tied to any blockchain, you can't sell it, you can't buy it. I think that's really cool. And that's something that I think that I would actually be pretty into as far as like, imagine... And I think this may be the case on Oculus, but I'm not positive, is that if you could design your own PlayStation Home and then people on your friends list can come and check it out and see how like you've decorated it and designed it. And obviously that wouldn't be for everybody, but as someone who's a big Animal Crossing fan and enjoys doing stuff like that, it would be so cool if people could come check out like this is how I designed my PlayStation Home room or whatever, something like that. So... I don't know. I feel really strongly like that could be what the implementation is, but uh, they're not quite ready to say it yet, since obviously this version of PlayStation Home hasn't been announced yet. We may revisit the topic of PlayStation Home later in this very show, Mm. but in the meantime, this sounds cool. You said something earlier. You said, you know, it costs us nothing. And I think what's important is that it costs them nothing. It literally does cost them something because they're going to basically be giving you at least in some way wallet funds and free things on PlayStation store that you mother otherwise might buy. But your engagement in the program is going to be so valuable to them that it's going to cost them nothing. It's going to cost them less than nothing. There's no reason to not have a robust community operation. And I'm surprised that none of the first parties really invest much, much more into a very robust ecosystem. We often talk about steam as being kind of the archetype of what I would love PlayStation to turn into with dedicated forums for every game, dedicated help pages, reviews, user reviews, all this kind of shit. I would love that. And I think that that would be really cool, but that's only a piece of the potential of PlayStation Network. And there's no reason why we can't extract more and more value out of the experience of being on PlayStation. And it's imperative for Sony to do that because the competition is so stiff. 
This is why I think it's kind of peculiar that Nintendo's so stubborn with trophies or whatever they would have coins, you know, their achievement system, whatever it would be. It just seems stupid to not do it. I understand people don't care, but you have to understand a lot of people do care and would care. And for all of the loyalty Nintendo has right now and for all of the sales they have and for all the buy in, can you imagine there is no trophy or achievement ecosystem around Nintendo at all? There's a sizable one around Xbox and PlayStation that matter. So. I, that's what I, I feel like. That's like the lowest hanging fruit. I think they're getting into the tree now and trying right. to kind of figure out what they can do to shake some more fruit out of it. Do you think that Nintendo's hesitance to do trophies and achievements is an intentional philosophical one? Yes. Because Nintendo does do that where they specifically, I, I don't know, maybe it was, maybe this is a real quote. Maybe it's not. But I, I've heard once that Miyamoto was insistent that like, we're not going to do a new game unless we have a new way of doing it, which we talked last week about how a lot of Nintendo games are similar, which is true, but it is the case that they do, when there's a new Mario Kart, there's always some kind of new angle. Mario Kart 8 was the the zero gravity stuff, right? And I think it was Mario Kart 7 that had the gliding, so they have a new angle on things, and specifically, I think it was F-Zero, they haven't done a new one because they don't really have anything new to do. So they have these interesting philosophical ideas behind their games and i think one of the main things is just like is it fun is it fun and i wonder if they worry that uh for some players adding that would take a would take away some kind of purity which i think that obviously you would argue against but it's it's interesting to have those kind of high level thoughts from a, a broad scale about a company yeah i think that there's got to be some reason why they don't do it as i've said in the past i think their first opportunity was 3ds and when it didn't happen then I was like, okay, and then Wii U is when it kind of became more conspicuous, and then Switch, it's just, that's a choice, and yeah. it's a choice to not do it in five years after this, the console has come out. That's totally fine, because a lot of people on Nintendo don't care. I understand that, but my point is simply that they're not even mining the people that would care and do care, and I bet you that they're, that's a substantial group. And not only would going after those people be good for Nintendo, it would hurt their competitors. So mm. it's just very strange. I, re I read things in on forums all the time. It's, of course, anecdotal, but in comments on Push Square or other places where it's like, I'm going to buy this on PlayStation because it's got trophies or I'm going to do this on PlayStation because it you know, got trophies like, I don't know, just it, it seems weird to a lot of people, but there's a lot of people to whom it doesn't seem weird. Would if Nintendo tomorrow said, hey, we're introducing stars to our games, we'll, we'll call them stars or whatever, and it applies to our entire online retro catalog and we're putting it into all of our first party games. Would that push Colin Moriarty to not saying making Switch your main system, but becoming an active Switch participant player? I, I think so. I mean, I, I think that what I would do is just have I, I need a, 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 a with the Vita gone, especially like I need something to play in bed. I, I mean, I can play PS5 in bed, but something to play in bed, something to play on the couch, something to play when Micah is using the TV or whatever the case might be or just on the go. When I'm going somewhere and the switch could be that and it it is it's just it's a little clumsy I'm not really crazy about the machine but yeah I wouldn't even be interested in any new games if they just I would just mine old games that would be so fun and just like, yeah because it's just I've beaten these games a bunch of times I've beaten all these Nintendo games I've played them I was there I, I know them it's it's fun to go back and play them sometimes but to give me another reason or an excuse to play them and to kind of I don't know I, like sure. I said I, I recently played uh, pretty much 100% run on Ocarina of Time with just a couple of things missing for knockback and it it was fun but it, it felt a little hollow too I'm like just from the sense of like I can't prove that I did this I'm, t I'm telling you if you don't believe me there's no reason for you to believe me I literally couldn't I, I, I might not have played it at all 
Right. You have no fucking idea. None. But like when I say something about wild arms, you can see like, oh, well, he played it. Here it is. Anyway. Next issue. Video Games Chronicle writes, a lot of people have been writing about this. On Metal Gear's 35th anniversary, Konami says it's preparing to bring back delisted games. And uh, so here's the way it goes, because it comes from the Japanese Metal Gear Twitter account. And it says in quote, quote, VGC uh, translates it, quote, the Metal Gear series launched on July 13th, 1987, celebrates its 30th, 35th anniversary today. We are preparing to resume the sale of titles that have been temporarily suspended, end quote. Now, as VGC notes, and as listeners of this show will almost certainly remember, Metal Gear Solid 2 and Metal Gear Solid 3 were removed from the PlayStation Network for PS3 and for Vita as a very late last last year in 2021. It was actually quite serendipitous because I had played Metal Gear Solid 3, as knockback fans will know, like right before that. And then it went off sale. So I almost missed it, which would have been horrible. And this these were taken down for no reason other than that. They both have footage in them, real life footage in their political vignettes and all of the rest that are licensed footage that they had to renew the licenses for. While it's incredible to imagine that they didn't have the perpetual license for these things, these games came from a pre-digital ecosystem where I don't think people expected that they would be available digitally, and I think that there were some things overlooked legally. And so on November 8th, 2021, those games were removed from sale. So the list of games that are affected by this, though, are extensive, and Video Games Chronicle has a full list. As far as PlayStation is concerned, it's Metal Gear Solid 2 and Metal Gear Solid 3, the HD edition, a la carte editions, Metal Gear Solid HD edition, which is the PS1 classic, Metal Gear Solid 2 and Metal Gear Solid 3 on Vita, the non a la carte, so collection versions on Vita and PS3, and then other places too that we don't talk about on the show, like the Nvidia Shield. So... What do you think about this Metal Gear maybe coming back? I know people were disappointed about this. This does seem to be an example of Konami incompetence, but it really just was one of those things. And it would be nice to have Metal Gear back on the scene. I just don't I just don't know what it means anymore. Right. Well, we do see Konami dipping their toes into the the collection space, like the advanced collection for Castlevania that we saw. Uh, I don't know. Was that earlier this year or last year? No, it was Castlevania was last year. Yeah. Yeah. So they are somewhat seem to be interested in exploring some of their back catalog. And obviously the crown jewel of that back catalog is Metal Gear Solid. And so it's one of those tough situations where they just I mean, I didn't want to say they just did it. They did that HD collection on PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 but it was kind of the wrong time to do it because if they would have done it, I mean, they would have still had these issues with uh, the copyrights of the footage and stuff like that. But if they would have done it on PlayStation 4, then it kind of could have lived in perpetuity. And so they kind of need to do that again. But I could see opportunity for a more expansive collection. Maybe this includes the two NES games as well. I think that would be really neat to see. And then also, of course, there's rumors of a Metal Gear Solid remake of some kind. And so maybe three, I, maybe one. It's unclear, you know, yeah. which one there. Yeah. Three is the three is the earliest in the timeline. And so that would make some sense. But right. I don't know. You're right, though, in the sense that the games are, are missing and the the Vita iterations of the games are especially woeful. I think like the control schemes are just rough on Metal Gear Solid two and three. So they also just missed kind of getting retooled. 
as well, which is unfortunate because they don't hold up from a gameplay perspective, in my opinion. They hold up from a a subject matter perspective, however. And Jason Green wrote into us and said, hi, guys, hope you're all well. It's the 35th anniversary of Metal Gear. Just wondering if you guys have any favorite moments from the series. Also, I find it kind of creepy how relevant MGS2 feels today. Anyways, take care of my friends and thank you. That was a major theme of the knockback episode about Metal Gear Solid 2 last year was like how creepy and uncanny Mm -hmm. it all is, especially the end. And I won't spoil it here, but if you've not played Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear Solid 3, I, I highly recommend you play those games. They're exceptional storytelling devices, of course, from Kojima. My memories, I have a lot of Metal Gear memories, but playing Metal Gear Solid 1 was a revolutionary moment. Dagan and I were talking on the show on our show recently about though there are many great games that we loved, there are maybe a dozen games that were truly seminal products. And I was naming them from my life. Super Mario World, Mega Man 3, th- things like that. Ocarina of Time, Symphony of the Night. And Metal Gear Solid was one of those games. I had never played or seen anything like it in my entire life when I was in ninth grade when I got it. And I was enthralled by it. And the it it was so far above anything I'd ever played in my life, especially because I wasn't really exposing myself to many shooters in, at that point, that the each boss fight... Specifically, of course, the famous uh, fight with who am I thinking of? Psycho Mantis. Psycho Mantis. Right. I was going to say Vulcan Raven, but no. Psycho Mantis is is awesome. And even Sniper Wolves is cool when you have to take the meds and do all this. And and, and the fight with Revolver Ocelot with the explosives in the middle of the room. They're just there's so much. There's so much about it. The whole game is a memory. And Metal Gear Solid 2, I got when I was it came out when I was a senior in high school. And I remember clearly playing it. I actually bought the Brady. I think it was the Brady strategy guide for it and just destroyed that game. I, I loved it. And I always loved the change in character. I know that that's a controversy. That was incredibly controversial back then, because especially because it was hidden. But um, I loved it. I loved that game. So my memories are, are copious for Metal Gear. And I would love to see it come back to celebrate the past. But I would be very wary of anything new from the series. I, I don't think that that's a good idea. And I don't think it'll ever get a fair shake. So I don't think it's a good idea to put yourself in that position to do it. It's not like Castlevania or Contra or something where someone else can easily do those games, even though you might want some studios to work on it. A lot of studios can fill in. You need you need Kojima to make Metal Gear Metal Gear. So do you have any memories of of fond memories of the series? Oh, definitely. I feel like I can't say this with certainty, but Metal Gear Solid was one of the first games that I probably like played and beat all the way through just because before that it was a lot of like i was really young so it was like right in the time where i had just enough skill to beat it It would have been like 2001 2002 so i was in first and second grade and i remember beating metal gear solid and how much of an accomplishment that was and i remember particularly and i know a lot of people remember this too there was a demo for metal gear solid 2 with zone of the enders yeah yeah and that demo man me uh and my my friend brian we would play that demo over and over again and we would like fuck around and see like dude can you do this can you do this like it was the the perfect little like sandbox and i remember playing that when metal gear solid 2 actually came out um i didn't play it when it came out but just uh like you said shocking shocking game looking back in hindsight I, i've talked about this video before but i have to shout out this video uh called the most profound moment in game history or in video games i don't remember the name of the youtube creator but if you've 
played Metal Gear Solid 2, I highly recommend this video because it takes that game and contrasts it to today. The lens of our modern information at a, you know, light speed second. And it's just, it's shocking. It's horrifying, actually, in a lot of ways. So it truly, if you've not played these games, it sucks. But this is the problem, connecting back to the news stories, that there's just not a like easy go-to way to say, hey, go play through the Metal Gear games because they're amazing. They're, it doesn't exist. And that's such a shame for a game that is, so, or a series that is just so essential and important to our hobby. So Konami, make it happen for the yeah, people. I think- I think Konami's getting back on the horse. Uh, I can feel it. I can sense it. They're talking a little bit about it. There's movement. Right. Great treatment of... Ca- I think Castlevania fans couldn't be any more pleased about the treatment of Castlevania. I think all we're waiting for now is a new game and seeing who makes it and just hoping it's far away from Mercury Steam, which I, I don't think we'll be making it anyway because they're, they're doing their own thing now. They, just, they did Metroid most recently. Right. So then maybe they're on to quote-unquote bigger and better things. But uh, yeah, it's... It is a shame and it's a shame that Vita is the best, probably the most accessible way for most people to play it and that the versions are not great, especially because the PS2 had those. What were those like? The I don't know what the word is. Capacitive buttons or whatever, where they you, they oh. were pressure sensitive. The, yeah. The, yeah. And that doesn't translate to Vita, which doesn't have those buttons. So anyway. Some more news. Shredder's Revenge has sold a million copies in one week. Want to celebrate that? Our friends over at Tribute Games and publisher Dotamu. And uh, they made this announcement that the game, which is a love letter to the old TMNT games, sold a million copies in about seven days. And of course, this is a prelude to the Konami collection of TMNT. Speaking of Konami, Konami collection of TMNT games coming out later this year that they recently wrote on, about on PlayStation blog and explained more about, but conspicuously did not date, which frustrated many. However, Kevin White wrote in and said, what's up, boys? With Shredder's Revenge being even better than I hoped it would be, I'm even more excited for the Cowabunga collection coming later this year. Me too. This got me wondering, what are some of your favorite video game compilations? Obviously, Mario All-Stars is the OG, but a couple of my other favorites are the MGS HD collection and the Street Fighter 30th Anniversary collection. As always, thank you all for that you, all that you do and uh, to keep us entertained. Thank you, Kevin, for writing in. So, Mario All-Stars is the OG, and I'm glad that you, oh, yeah. you know that. That game was fucking awesome. I like Mario All-Stars, which for people that don't know is an SNES release, I think from 93 or 94, that was Mario 1, Mario 2 USA, Lost Levels, which is Mario 2 in Japan, and then Mario 3. Later iterations had Mario World, I think, built in as well. I didn't have that one. And it was like the first we'd ever really seen of anything like that, at least on console. And there was actually another obscure collection on SNES that was that's noteworthy called the Ninja Gaiden collection which is the a, a pretty obscure trilogy port from the NES it's a rare game yeah it is too. and um and then recently we were talking about over on Genesis Wily Wars which is a which is a compilation of Mega Man 1 2 and 3 although they're remade and kind of re- reworked a little bit I was actually watching the games done quick stream recently of them doing Wily Wars I'm really very unfamiliar with those games and and how how pretty some of the animations and backgrounds are in it so those are two or a few early ones for me. I really loved a few others as well. The in the PS3 era, the Ratchet and Clank collection and the Sly collection were both really well done, and I was pleased to have those. And um, yeah, I guess I'll leave it there. What about you? Do you have any collections you want to shout out? Yeah, I'll shout out two in particular. One was a while back now, but I remember it was so exciting that this collection I want to say was twenty dollars at release. 
That's the Orange Box, the debut oh, yeah. of Portal, of course, Team Fortress 2 on consoles, and of course, Half-Life 2 and Episode 1 and 2 was in there. Just amazing because so much value for me in like, I want to say, what year was this now? Uh, 2007, October 2007. So I was either in 6th or 7th grade. I was in 7th grade then. So yeah, $20 was e- like much easier to get a hold of than than 60 and so this was an awesome portal was amazing and more recently i i got to shout out the uh bioshock collection that yeah. came out on playstation 4 just because i love that it's totally complete the you know in 60 frames per second just a nice easy digestible package that has everything for just one of the absolute greatest of all time i mean that has to be a top five for me bioshock one in particular so nice little collection that they've given away for free at one point so shout out there are a litany of capcom collections that are good too the Mega Man legacy collections Mega Man x collections the phoenix Wright collection those are all good some konami collections in castlevania castlevania advanced the classic castlevania stuff contra there's there's the Disney after Saturday afternoon collect or Saturday morning right, they call yeah. it, collection, which is from Capcom as well. There's there's a lot of good stuff out there for sure. There are some that I haven't played yet, too. Like I want to play the Wonder Boy collection. It's just too expensive. I'm not there's on principle. I'm not spending forty dollars on on Master System games, mm. it's, you know, as I'm and yeah. Genesis early Genesis games. But they're, I'm not really familiar with those games, so I'd like to play those. There is there are quite a few. I love compilations. I, I hope that they continue to come. Indefinitely. There's so many. There are an infinite number of collections that I can imagine. Old, the old Tales games. That would be fucking sick. Oh, yeah. would love that. And of course, we, we are awaiting Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, which we assume are inevitable, but who knows? All right. Some bad news about Red Dead Redemption 2. And David Moran wrote in about it. Said, hey, boys, last week, last week's Rockstar News got me thinking. So he's talking about how... Grand Theft Auto 4 specifically seemed to have been in, in the process of being HDIs and then was abandoned for an all all you know hands on deck approach to Grand Theft Auto 6 instead of Rockstar. So that's what he's referring to. He says, hey, boys, last week's Rockstar news got me thinking, when are we getting the PS5 upgrade for Red Dead Redemption 2? I thought it would be inevitable with so many companies patching their PS4 games, but it has yet to happen with recent rumors suggesting that this patch has been canceled. So what do you all think? Will they do it at all? And if so, what's the price? Free? A Sony-style $10 upgrade fee? Full price, separate release? Keep up the good work and always remember that Dutch has a plan. Got a plan. He does have a plan. So the reference here is Push Square kind of wraps it up. Our friends over there. They have an, a, te- a Rockstar Insider that we've referenced before and that they reference here, Tez2. And he says, quote, I've heard about Red Dead Redemption to current gen versions a long time ago, as well as Rockstar's plans to come up with an enhanced Rockstar edition, all canceled and halted now, end quote. So it seems like they're moving on fully. So maybe Red Dead never gets the next gen treatment. It seems kind of hard to believe, though. It's up there with Bloodborne where you wonder, what? What are you what are you doing? It's just but of course, Red Dead Online seems to be unceremoniously dying as well. And I don't know what's what, what's going on with Rockstar. It seems like maybe something is seemingly minor from my perspective as the kind of soft, re, soft uh, reception of the trilogy from another studio scared them. Uh, and uh, now they just want to get GTA six out the door, I guess. So anyway, what do you think about Red, we're all big Red Dead fans? So what do you think about Red Dead Two? maybe not getting its PS5 treatment soon or ever? 
Yeah, it's disappointing just because there's not... I don't feel like there's a lot that needs to be done for Red Dead 2, specifically. They just, for a lot of people, making it available, first of all, on PlayStation 5 and Series X, whatever, would be one thing. And then second, make it 60 FPS in 4K, like higher resolution, better frame rate. Take advantage of that hardware. But Rockstar, outside of the the collection they did, or that they hired uh, Grove Street to do, they can't seem to just do something and do a a basic version of it, like a basic upgrade. They have to go in and make it a big to-do, like we just saw with Grand Theft Auto V getting ported over to PlayStation 5. That took a, a decent amount of time for them to do, which if I recall, like the upgrades were overall pretty minor i'm guessing a lot of that work was just getting uh their servers and gta online on new platforms most likely but yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like we don't we don't want a lot like just uh kind of make it make it a high higher frame rate better res that'll be it but i'm very curious about this all hands on deck approach to gta 6 you have to imagine that they're thinking about this and like wow we've made more money on an online on GTA online like an unfathomable amount of money and we can put the budget for GTA 6 is i mean basically unlimited you have to imagine obviously there's some kind of limit but you could, this could potentially be the most expensive game ever made because they have the money to do it and that's very intriguing to me an all hands on deck rockstar into this one product that is probably I mean, when when it gets announced fully, it's going to be one of the most anticipated games of all time. It's a follow-up to one of the most successful games of all time. That's very interesting to think about. And uh, obviously, there's new leadership there now, and so there's uh, a lot that could go wrong. It's kind of, I mean, I think Rockstar would be fine, but uh, there's a lot on the table for GTA 6 and so it's very intriguing seeing them make these moves and kind of saying hey this is our focus nothing else we are we are just focused on this sole game dropping Red Dead Online which sucks for the people that were into it but I think they're still supporting GTA Online because of that's the main money maker but I don't know GTA 6 it's it'll be big <laughs> no matter what I dig the focus but you would think that I dig the focus if Rockstar was its own entity, but it's not. It's owned mm. by a parent. And you would think that right. while the parent wants to respect the money machine that is Rockstar, you would think you would say, like, let's just can't we just take care of these other games? Like, I don't understand. It's the same thing with the Grand Theft Auto uh, trilogy stuff from Grocery, like you said, where I would have been like, we got to do this by hand and we got to do it internally. Why would we do this any other way? It doesn't make any sense. There are people I know it sounds hard for people to believe, but there are people that are passionate about remaking games, about going in the code and making it better, about restructuring and, and, and improving things. These are the kinds of people that are attracted to studios like Nix's and Saber Interactive and, and you know, whatever. And that's and Bluepoint back in the day, although it sounds like maybe they're, you know, maybe they're going to be making something of their own at some point. So take advantage of that stuff and and find the people that can you imagine the fan base that Grand Theft Auto has on on online, the things people have done to that game, the innumerable things that people have done to modify those games to make them better. And you see companies like like id and Bethesda smart enough to hire from those groups of people for their own games because they realize those are the mega fans. Right. And they'd be thrilled to be like, oh, can you make Doom 
three, you know, port <laughs> for PS5 or whatever. And they'd be like, yeah, fuck yeah. That'd be a great project. So I don't know. That's what that's what confuses me about it. However, I do respect the all hands on deck approach because they actually said in a, in a, in a statement, someone said from there, I, I had I didn't include it in the news, unfortunately, so I can't cite it more accurately. But they, they said something along the lines of. We understand that Grand Theft Auto six has to surpass expectations. And when I read that, what I was thinking, and this is what I want to ask you, is what are the expectations? Because mm. I want to say two things. Number one, and I stick by this. I think Grand Theft Auto five was completely underwhelming. As cool of a game as it was, I remember when it was announced and shown off, people were like, look how beautiful and crazy. I'm like, what? I, I just, we were seeing PC games at the time that looked substantially better than Grand Theft Auto 3. I almost felt like I was being gaslit. And I remember going and seeing it. I wrote a pretty contentious preview of it in 2013, and I had people fucking hated it because I, I just was like, I don't, I, I mean, it's cool. It's, it's Grand Theft Auto. It's fun as hell. Great performances, great writing, quirky and fun to play, better gunplay, all the rest. So I, on one hand, I'm like, well, the, I don't think Grand Theft Auto 5 met my internal expectations, although I, but I, didn't, I don't really know what they were. But then I think of Red Dead 2, Red Dead Redemption 2, and that completely blew away my expectations. I, I, that's, that to me is an example of what a game can be. And so it's hard for me to know what, what what's we're going to get, which one we're going to get, because actually Red Dead is a a mega performer and you know, 50 million copies sold or something like that, but soft in quotes by Grand Theft Auto standards. It's almost like people want the other thing. So what are your expectations? Hmm. Well, I think that one of the main things that they can, if they want to be innovators, which I think that Rockstar is an innovative company, is that a lot of open worlds are designed to be outdoor environments with select, very select indoor environments. And I love this idea of like, what if, I don't know if this sounds crazy, but again, this is Rockstar. What if you could go into all the buildings in the city, even if it's just the first floor, maybe some buildings are entirely full or whatever you can explore. But I always felt like with GTA, it's like, yeah, this is a cool city, cool desert, all this kind of stuff, but it's only outside for the most part. So that's kind of an interesting thought is like, what if, what, what about the indoors of areas? And I think the second thing that people are looking for Rockstar to innovate is on the online side with particularly the rise of the role-playing servers. And I really wouldn't be surprised if we see some kind of official Grand Theft Auto online role-playing support built in uh, where people can run their own servers, stuff like that. Grand Theft Auto role-playing is one of those things I've watched on Twitch a few times, and it's really intriguing, but I do not fully understand it because these people are dedicated to being this character within the game. If your car gets screwed up, you have to go and get it fixed. You different people like make deals. And I, I always wonder, I'm like, so do you have like a set like you become this character every Tuesday from 6 to 8 p.m. or something like how is how does that work if people are yeah, aren't online but, yeah. but dude if we that would be an amazing sacred symbols plus episode yeah. if we can find someone uh that is hardcore into that community that'd be really interesting but because there's nothing really like I mean I don't want to say like nothing second, like it's like that. second life meets it's like second life but with force parameters like it's 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 yeah. it's this role playing in an environment that's not made for it they're just doing it anyway which is right. That's what's interesting. It's like my, my brother-in-law would always dick around by driving and like following the lights in Grand Theft Auto oh, and like turning yeah. properly and doing all that kind of stuff. And it's like you, the game just begs you not to do it. 
So there right. is some sort of unbelievability in it. I, I, I agree. I mean, I, on Final Fantasy 14 Sacred Symbols Plus that I did, there's a similar thing going on there. So oh, with yeah. with people, I mean, that's more of a literal role playing game, but people playing a role because the only role in the game is that of a combatant. But you could build this whole other thing. And I think they're like doing farming and all this stuff now. And people like these lifestyles. It's it's crazy. Like what is old is new again, because Second Life and other things like this were doing this so long ago. There was just mm-hmm. no it just sucked. They're great. There are great documentaries about Second Life. I remember watching one of them there was this woman in like Michigan I think that was this was like probably 10 or 15 years ago was making like six figures just creating random shit in the game and selling it Dang. to people yeah like because she ran like a store in the game where people can come buy digital goods or whatever it's crazy and I think that kind of stuff is still percolating around it was like I said this stuff some of this stuff just never goes away I was telling someone I used to play a game called Utopia which was a browser game and it's still going on. It's still going on right now. And I can't, I can't believe it. it's been like 25 years or something. It's crazy. So anyway, we'll see what happens with Grand Theft Auto 6 and Red Dead 2 on PS5. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A few other quick things to get through. Kojima getting litigious. So for people that don't know or don't follow the news, Shinzo Abe, who was the prime minister until recently in Japan, was assassinated by a man named Tetsuya Yamagami. Now, it's important. Abe was a was the previous prime minister before being killed. I want to be I was being glib. And uh, so he's assassinated by this extremist in Japan with a homemade gun. However, I don't and I saw this. It was funny, I guess, but. People were identifying the shooters, the shooter originally as Kojima, not by name, but by picture. And this eventually had Kojima Productions English Twitter account and other social media feeds read in part. Kojima Productions strongly condemns the spread of fake news and rumors that convey false information. We do not tolerate such libel and will consider taking legal actions in some cases. So there's like a bunch of examples in the in the. uh, the responses is like a picture of him in a Russian hat. That was, I guess, in some some Greek news station. There's a bunch of weird shit where this was going around. So I guess this was a real thing he was experiencing. But a lot of the pictures also come from 4chan, which I think was kind of seeding these these images of him. Did you see this? What do you think of this? Yeah. So I, I don't know where this originated. I saw something also about like some French journalist tweeted it, but as he claimed as a joke and then some news places picked it up and it's one of those things where first of all it's like you you should never do that Uh, even if it is someone that you would think is a notable figure like don't that's obvious don't do that but again uh no spoilers but play Metal Gear Solid 2 it's like this is the most ironic aspect of it is that this is the kind of thing that Kojima wrote about like this in this era where information flows so quickly and spreads so fast how do you know what's real and what's fake 
And now here he is at the center of maybe not at the center, but at least a part of this aspect of this assassination that his photo is attached to. Like it's it's a uh, scary how prophetic it was. But uh, it, it's one of those things where it's like, obviously, this is not a funny situation. Someone getting assassinated isn't funny. The fact that Kojima was attached to this is kind of funny. Like, it's just a funny, situ- like, ironic, like, what the fuck situation. But uh, I wonder, I wonder what they'll do. I, for, I like, I wonder who they'll sue. Will they sue that news network that put up those photos unvetted? Will they, they, su- probably will they sue, sue that journalist? Or? They're probably just trying to scare people. But yeah, maybe they yeah. will. Maybe they will. I mean, that sucks. Mm-hmm. It does. It, it's you know what it reminds me a little bit of Ted remember well, remember Ted Cruz he's in the Senate from Texas but remember the whole thing with him where he was the the Zodiac killer the Zodiac yeah and he kind of embraced it but that could have gone the other way where maybe he like went crazy with it but I think the Streisand effect and the whole theory around that encourages you not to give this stuff any more energy than it belongs and so maybe it was a mistake for them to even acknowledge it at all we understand Kojima is not the killer of Shinjo Abe I think I think we know that right I think we know that we're safe to assume all right I want to just touch on a couple of games since we want to talk about games as we see them some bigger games as we see some gameplay and we mentioned briefly last week that November 8th is the date that Skull and Bones the long development Ubisoft game will come to PlayStation 5 not PlayStation 4 so PS5 only for our consoles And we have some gameplay for the first time. We really weren't able to go into it in the last episode, but we can do it here. I was just curious if you got a chance to look at it, Dustin, and what you think of the game. From from my perspective, it looks cool. I mean, I I think it actually looks really cool. It's just not my kind of game. So I I see a lot of hate for this game, and maybe even we make fun of it sometimes and needle it, but it looks fine. I'm a little confused what took so long and why this was such a worthwhile endeavor i don't know if they were looking at sea of thieves and seeing some sort of success they can replicate there or seeing you know thinking like well this is kind of our idea we really should see it through to fruition but i think it looks pretty slick Uh, i it's just not i'm not gonna have anything to do with this game and i'm curious if people will play it but ubisoft quietly has some pretty big hits in that in that kind of small player base sense for honor lasted for a while i think people still play that game in some sense and others so I don't know. Who knows? What do you think of Skull and Bones? So I really wasn't into the naval combat in Assassin's Creed 3 and 4. So right off the bat, this game isn't probably for me. Watching the gameplay, it it just like, man, the the UI looks so Ubisoft. There's just shit all over the screen. There's like a bar in the top left, a bar below that. There's your... Uh, compass then there's like dots all over the screen of your enemies it's just noisy and so I don't know I mean this it game... looks like one of those it looks like one of those things people make to make fun of a screen <laughs> well and it's so funny too because I'm watching this gameplay right now on YouTube and it even has like the Ubisoft connect thing that it's like core challenge completed and that comes up too it's just like noise mm-hmm. everywhere so I don't know. I kind of feel like their best bet was to make this free to play right out the gate because it seems like, like you said, a lot of people are clowning on this game and making fun of it and think that it doesn't look very good, but they're going all out. In fact, I think they're because this is I don't know if it's their first PS5 only title, but I I want to say they're going full 70 bucks with this. There's no no more cross like some game 60, some game 70. I think they're going full 70. So bold. Also, right around God of War, which is also like 
Yeah, bold is one word for it. Um, very bold. Very bold. <laughs> it is funny as far as the UI is concerned. Like, I don't mind noisy UIs sometimes. I find them sophisticated and interesting. They're so much different than the old UIs from old games. We have to remember where we came from. But they can get noisy, and this one is ridiculous. I wanted to, I'm looking at the video that they posted on their blog, and I'm at 536, and I paused it, and I just want to, I'm going to explain to the audience every single UI feature on this uh, that is happening. <laughs> So everything that's on the screen, that's nothing to do with the gameplay, but just things that the game is marking for you or telling you to do. So in the upper left corner, there are three bars with three skulls next to them that each have their own color and own. So like one is white bars, one is blue bars, one is like smaller gold bars. bars. And then to the right of that is a massive horizontal compass reading Southwest. Next to that in the right corner is... A flag. I don't know if that's a Dutch flag. I think that's an old Dutch flag with three red X's next to it and then a black X all in a black box. And then back on the right side of the screen, it says Captain Edo, 386 meters with two health bars and an icon. And then there's a icon that says Slayer Thor, 58 meters with another ship. And there's a red X above that and a red circle below it. And then next to that, it says Steven's oil opus, steal jars of oil in suburb lumberyard for Steven, plunder the docks in suburb lumberyard and then fulfill jars of oil. One of one below that is a demon souls like four button thing for your face buttons. I assume next to that is for your left bumper and it says LB below that is an icon and then it says four of 242 and then on the left side of the screen, it says chat with the left stick and there's an icon over your character. There's an icon over the cannon. There's a red circle in the showing where the cannon is firing in the water. And then on the ship that you're aiming at, there's like a bunch of red for the different parts of the ship you can blow up as well. So those are all just UI compliments of the game, not the actual visual of what's happening on the screen. That's just all UI. It's a lot. It's crazy, actually, when you have to. When, that's why I wanted to explain it, because I'm like, I'm going to say it all instead of yeah. you see. And it does look like one of those screens. The people in Horizon and Elden Ring came out. People were making fun of it. This is real. There's nothing else to do to this screen. Too much noise. I also wanted to ask you about uh, Exoprimal gameplay. Oh, yeah. So what did you uh, what did you make of this? There's uh, there was they had like a closed test. There's hours of the footage, I think, on um, Video Games Chronicle. Well, yeah, what, what did you make of this dinosaur hunting game? I think this looks really fun. Like, for real, I'm. I, it has, like, a little bit of a Left 4 Dead element to it because you have all of these creatures, all these dinosaurs on screen, so you're kind of just, like, at some points, just, like, blind firing. But it also had, like, a little bit of overwatch i want to say maybe that's just because there's a, a character that had like a giant shield so you have different roles in order to do stuff but then so like there's there's moments where in the gameplay it was like you have you're achieving this checkpoint faster than the enemy team and so it's like you have this competitive aspect where you and the other team are trying to do something quicker than the other and then there's moments where there's actual pvp involved as well and so I'm really intrigued by this game. This has just enough um, interesting elements that I think I do really want to check this out. In fact, I got to sign up. Oh, this. Okay. This closed network test is over. I really hope they do an open beta because I would really, really like to check this out before it comes it says out. The, 
the second test will be July. This is according to Video Games Chronicle. The second test will be on July 25th for six hours. And the third test will be at, on August 7th for 24 hours. Mm. So make note. Maybe you can get in. You can maybe. submit for it. says you can submit on the Exoprimal website, which is exoprimal.com. Let's see. Entry for the closed network test has been closed. Oh, so bummer. I'm out. Sorry. Dang it. So, yeah, and looking at the gameplay, I mean, I can say that, uh, yeah, definitely a Left 4 Dead vibe to it, from in my opinion. But some interesting, first of all, I'm, it's not my kind of game. You know what kind of vibe I get from it is it's kind of like a Mousseau. In, mm, in that sure. it's, I don't, are there many online games where you fight this many enemies? It's not like, it's very hectic. It's almost like Dead Rising-ish more than, yeah. than Left 4 Dead. But I love the whole visual of the dinosaurs just appearing like out of thin air out of these like purple blasts and there's just a shit ton of them. But beating you're just beating the shit out of these things. And so it gives me that little bit of a Omega Force Musso vibe. Right. But it does make me yearn. I know people are disappointed that this isn't Dino Crisis, another Capcom property from the PS1 era. But and that Turok is kind of dead and and all the rest are Turok's kind of silly. They did re-release the Turok games not too long ago, but. It does make me yearn for a single player dinosaur game. But like a, a more deliberate Jurassic Park type shooter, like horror experience mm-hmm. would be really, really neat. And it reminds me, there was that Bethesda published dinosaur game that sucked. Do you remember what the fuck was it called? Bethesda. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to Google this. I'm going to say Bethesda dinosaur. Game that's not good enough because I guess there are dinosaurs in Bethesda. No, Arc 2. No, 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 hmm. I'll find it, but no, because now yeah, all these things think. are coming out. Yeah, there was like a, it was, it was like a, I think it was Bethesda, but there was a dinosaur shoot. Maybe it wasn't Bethesda. PS3 dinosaur shooting game Jurassic the Hunted. This is it. Jurassic the Hunted. I don't think no, I've seen Activision. this game before. I'm sorry, but that's, I didn't mean to insult you like that. I, I was giving you uh, Rogue Rogue Legacy, or not Rogue Legacy. What was, I can't remember that other one now. Rogue. God, I'm talking, I can't remember <laughs> It's, it's all mushed. Jurassic the Hunted, Activision. This game came, yeah, I, 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 I almost got the platinum in this game. This was the last type of that kind of game that I played, but it was not of a very high quality. I think mm. I almost got the platinum in it. It came out in November 2009, for anyone that's curious. But, uh, yeah, so it would be cool. I, I, I know people are Rogue Warriors, the game I was thinking about, by the way. I know people are, are yearning. So that, that's what made me yearn for more dinosaur content. All right, let's get into what we're playing. I'll kick it over to you first. You can sure. talk about whatever you'd like. Uh, I'm playing. So I've beaten a few of the bosses now in the Cuphead DLC. I was worried initially that I may have lost my touch because I sat down probably two or three times to play it and I wasn't really in the right headspace and I was just getting destroyed and I was like oh no I, I can't I can't play Cuphead anymore but the last few times I've sat down to play it I've actually have progressed and it's cool it's it's like I said before I think it's just mostly more of the same which is totally fine that's kind of what you want from a DLC but there are some interesting mechanics that they've added, whether it's being able to play as Chalice Girl, which I haven't done yet just because it's different enough that I don't want to relearn how to play the game uh, as Chalice Girl. But there's some interesting boss mechanic aspects as well. Like there's a level where I won't describe it further than this, but where you get turned sideways. And so it was so 
it, it screwed me up so bad that what I literally ended up doing was turning my head sideways to play those parts because your character still moves the same way. It's just he's on the side of the screen. So I ended up like turning my head left and right while I was playing. It was kind of fun, but gamer, I'm having gamer moment. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a hardcore gamer moment. And then the main thing I've played over the past week is resident evil three remake. Let me tell you, Colin, I got whiplash from playing resident evil two remake directly to this game. It's weird because when it starts, you're like, whoa, this is going to be it feels like it's going to be to that same quality. You have the same level of uh, graphics, character models. It it feels and plays similar as well, like the way the characters move, the shooting. But uh, there were just so many frustrating aspects. I know that when I mentioned it last week, I talked about how I didn't like the dodge mechanic that they implemented for this game. And that continued to be annoying as i played and there were numerous instances of insta kill stuff where if this certain if you're like fighting a boss or this certain creature if you get close they're just going to kill you just straight up and i get that in in that can be an interesting mechanic but overall that it happened multiple times as i was playing i was like dang this is really really annoying and what's funny is is that I guess one of the negative aspects to some people maybe is that it is short, but by the time I was done with this game at like, I don't know, four hours, four and a half, maybe, uh, and that's because I was probably going slow points, It, I was glad it was over. It just in, in so many ways is inferior to Resident Evil 2, thinking about like the, the police station and how that was like an area you kept returning to, how extensive it was. And while Resident Evil 3 isn't fully linear, it's much more in that line where it's like much more, okay, now you're in this small, smaller area and then you move to this smaller area. And it's a lot more combat focused in a lot of ways too. You'll fight big groups of zombies, which I didn't really like, but it, uh, yeah, wasn't wasn't so great. So I, I have to say I recommend Resident Evil 2 Remake fully, but 3... I mean, if you, I guess if you get it for cheap and you want to know the story and stuff like that, go for it. But understand that it definitely has uh, some headaches. So overall, I'm taking a break on Resident Evil now. I'll eventually go back. I'll, I want to play four closer to when the remake comes out. And I also have zero. I, I think I mentioned last week I bought zero in Code Veronica, which a lot of people messaged me about Code Veronica telling me they're like, this game is really annoying. Be prepared. You can potentially screw your save up if you don't have enough ammo in a certain section, stuff like that. So kind of made me less hesitant to want to go design. and play that. Good design. Yeah. yeah. I, lo- I do love the eminence, though, of in Resident Evil of um, not having enough ammo or at least feeling like the specter of not having enough ammo is there. But but the design is sophisticated enough where you do have ammo. I mean, you have to. I mean, that's why they, that's why they do game testing and all that. So it's it's shitty when you can when you can break your own game. You shouldn't be able to do that. Right. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that's the thing with two is that in two, it was like perfectly like you never felt like you had quite enough, but you were never screwed. Like you usually could get by. And that's like a really hard line to walk as far as like, I guess, ammo and item economy in your game. And Resident Evil is always particularly interesting because there's the whole management of how much stuff you can hold at the same time. And so, yeah, it was weird. I don't I'm trying to remember back just because I 
I wasn't on the show at that time, and I know you and Chris kind of both felt the same way that you didn't really like it either, uh, like it very much either. But was that that was a different team that did that? Like a, they kind of outsourced that and kind of did it quick and cheap, right? Yeah, I want to say was it that that M M two team or whatever? Let me see. Yeah, because I could, what I was gonna say was that I in terms of your experience with Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 is that I feel like that whiplash would be so pronounced if you played them back to back like we had a year right, yeah. right mm-hmm. of distance so but yeah man I'm, I'm interested to hear hear what you think of Zero because I do think Resident Evil Zero is an underrated game I think that game is I think a lot of people didn't play it because it was on GameCube and so it's just kind of lost and I think totally underrated I never understood why people hated that game that was great. Yeah. I wanted to shout out real quick before you move on, just to acknowledge Cuphead. Cuphead has sold a million copies, the DLC, the Delicious Last Course DLC. So I wanted to acknowledge Dang. that. So yeah. I, I was criticizing them for taking too long, but it seems like it doesn't really matter because they're doing great anyway. So mm-hmm. congratulations to them for that. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. And then the last thing, kind of what I'm focused on now is that before Final Fantasy VII Remake came out, I went and I played through the Midgar section of the original and a little past that because I've never finished Final Fantasy 7. So I thought now's a good time. I'm going back. And so I'm back playing Final Fantasy 7. And Are you playing it on PS4? I'm playing it on Switch because I got it. I wanted it for a trip. So years you could, ago. But you, but you could use the fast forwarding and all of that? Yes. Yeah. And good. that's the thing is that unashamedly I'm playing this on the baby mode where I'm playing it through with the speed and then when story stuff comes up, I unclick it and then not constantly, but regularly oh, you're I'm using, using limit the, breaks. the limit break and stuff because oh. I'm just, I want to, it's, it's too far at this point where I think I started doing that when I was playing it like two years ago. And so I just want to get through and experience the story at this point. I think maybe I've ruined it, but yeah. So it's been it's been nice going through playing that. That's about nice. It. Always a good game to go play. For me, all I played the last week was Wild Arms, but this morning I finally beat it and platinumed nice. it. Platinum number one hundred and thirty-one for me, and I got the PS4 version. I don't know why I played the PS4 version, but I did not the PS5 version. I think I accidentally accidentally uh, downloaded the wrong version but it's a great game it's a truly truly wonderful game and in beating it today earlier today and watching the ending the, the lengthy ending it's so interesting to me that these sprites and this really 16-bit aesthetic can can portray so much emotion and it does it so well other games do it too 8-bit games can do it too 32-bit games of course more realistic games can do it even better in a lot of ways but there's a lot of oomph to this game, and I just want to reiterate the really great strategic, creative choice to just focus on three protagonists and really get to know them and their relationships. And the ending is so cute and um, emotional. And so I just want to give Wild Arms a shout out. The great, the wonderful PS1 exclusive 1997 JRPG that kind of withered away into memory in the shadow of Final Fantasy VII, but developer media vision followed it up with a bunch of games and those are of course second party playstation exclusives and wild arms is available on ps4 and ps5 right now with trophies along with siphon filter and others if you have uh interest in playing them either a la carte by the way or on the subscription service before we move on to the news though camza 115 wrote in and said hey lads hope you're all doing well 
Are any of you planning on playing Stray next week? Seems like it's dropping at a perfect time since there's not much to play right now. Also, it doesn't hurt that you get to play as a cute cat. If you do decide to play, would it be a game you might consider doing a spoiler cast for? I really enjoyed the Quarry spoiler cast and would love for you all to do some more low-key games between big releases. Yeah, I'm totally open to it if, there, if there's like a story to be told that we can Definitely. go through. I know that the game can be beaten rapidly because there's a trophy for doing it in two hours, which is cool. I have no problem with that. Uh, I want to say I think this uh, I'm kind of tapped out of this game as far as looking at it, but this game looks great. I, I can't wait to play it. We'll talk about it a little later. Maybe I'll tie this question in sooner, but I think Stray will be the next game I play after, you know, I'm going to maybe take a little bit of a break post Wild Arms here. Who see who knows? And then, yeah, move into Stray. What about you? Are you going to check it out? Yeah. Well, since I have the PlayStation subscription now for a little bit longer, I can't remember how long since I just upgraded for my remaining thing. Uh, might as well. And this is one that I'm intrigued by. I know there's a button. There's a meow button to my understanding, I think. So that's very cute. And it's funny, the the two hour, the like speed run trophy is interesting just because for me, the fact that this is like could be a digestible four to five hours is awesome. I love that, like a nice tight experience. And Agreed. so uh, that, that makes it even more appealing to me. So, yeah, I will definitely uh, check it out next week. Sweet. Yeah, I'm on it as well. And since you brought up the subscription service, I'm just going to go into the inquiries. We usually end the show with the six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. We'll pull sure. one now because I think it makes more sense now. A little more linear for us. DJ Housecat wrote in and said, Hey, CDC, after hearing you mention the messenger on the last episode, I decided I'd give it a shot. I opened up the PlayStation store to see a big sale was underway. I added three to four games to my cart for a total of around $40 and headed to the checkout. Upon checking out, I was greeted with an advertisement for PS Plus Extra stating these games were available on the service and it would cost an extra 30 bucks to upgrade to it for the remainder of my nine month PS Plus basic subscription. I had planned on passing on the service since I have Game Pass, but seeing how this deal was going to work in real time, I felt curious enough to give it a shot. My question you find, gentlemen, is now that these services are available for purchase and we can see the catalog, have any of you had a change of heart about possibly subscribing? I'm so glad you wrote in DJ Housecat because I was really thinking about this this week and my own experience with this. And since... Dustin brought up that Stray will be available on PlayStation Plus Premium and Extra. Not on the basic PlayStation Plus. We get our different free games. And I was actually in Discord saying, like, I'm kind of realizing now we don't get free games anymore on PlayStation Plus. And people are like, oh, no, we do. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. We just get are going to get overshadowed products now moving forward. And (laughs) I was thinking about Wild Arms and how I paid $10 a la carte for it, which is fine. And I'm happy to do it. But then Stray coming. I guess what I'm saying is I'm starting to compel. I'm starting to compete with this idea in my mind that though it's exactly what they want me to do. And I'm really trying to resist doing it, that it's almost stupid and stubborn not to do it. And I remember saying this about Game Pass, where it's like, why wouldn't you do it? Like, Why would you ever buy a game if they're just begging you basically not to? You're you're ready to spend more money. Like I'm ready to spend money on Stray and maybe I will. But when I go to checkout, I'm going to be greeted. I realize I'm going to I haven't pre-ordered it yet, but I'm I'm going to I'm going to be greeted with the same thing because I was greeted with that when I bought Wild Arms. Cuz they were like, "Oh, you can just spend like another 10 bucks or 15 bucks and just get this and not even have to worry about it." And I'm like, "No, I'm good. I'm good." But they're going to keep pounding that that over and over again. Every time you buy something, that can be 
And eventually you're going to look like a fucking idiot or, or it's, it's good. It's good design because it's going to you have to feel dumb after a while being like, well, why didn't I just do this? And every time now that you don't do it, it's a sunk cost. Even though you want to keep the a la carte reality going and support game developers and all of that, they're almost it's like the situation with Spotify and music. It's so hard to justify buying music. Why on earth would you buy music? Right. When you can just get Spotify and have very high quality versions of all those songs. There's just you'd be foolish to not just get Spotify. And I'm kind of realizing I'm in a similar pincer here where I'm I'm wondering what I'm going to do when I'm greeted with that stray message, because it's going to happen. And if stray, I don't know how much stray is, but if it's 20 or $30, it's conceivable that they're going to be like, it's literally just the same amount of money to just get the next PlayStation plus thing. And I'm going to be like, you're right. And also, I think that the draw of day and date games could be greater. That won't generally be interesting to me, but Stray is an example of a game that's definitely interesting to me. I was thinking about how few PlayStation Plus games I play. I actually asked the listeners on Discord to tell me the last PlayStation Plus game I even played, and they came up with the answer Maneater, which is a good mm. answer. And that's almost two years ago now, right. a year and a half ago. So I don't know, man. Does that does that vibe with you? I mean, are, are you understanding what I'm saying? I feel like there's more resonance to this idea by its mere existence because it's going to constantly haunt you. And you're going to wonder... The, the sunk cost is going to be so bad that you're going to be so stubborn to stick with your guns when they're just like, oh, just subscribe. But that's so weird to me because you would think that they would like to leave people like me alone and not make it so obvious that I could be saving money and not spending money. But they'd rather that subscription number, I think, that notch. So what do you think? Does any of that resonate with you? Yeah, it it's a weird situation because I think about there's an argument to be made that it's like, okay, uh, I don't, I'm trying to think how much is it like an extra 10 or $15 a month for, for this. And so, yeah, you have access to all these games, but at the end of the year, after you've spent a hundred dollars or whatever, you, uh, you could cancel it and you have nothing for that hundred dollars other than the experiences that you had, which on the other hand, playing devil's advocate with myself when you buy a digital game, you really do not buy anything. You buy access to play it and download it. But as we've seen, and we're going to talk about later, that access can be revoked as part of the terms of service. You're really just kind of also buying access to a game when you buy a game digitally as well. So in some sense, it almost is like, what's what's the difference? You know, so I guess it unless you you know, when you decide to unsubscribe, then you no longer have uh, access to these games you played if you had like saves or whatever or something like that. And so it's it's difficult. And like for me, so I bought Game Pass on a deal, I think late last year during Black Friday. And I, I think I bought like a year or two and I haven't used that service at all. Really, like I, I played a little bit of Shredder's Revenge, which I really want to get back to, but I haven't really used it. And I'm sure that that's probably the case for some of these people that get these subscription service also is that they buy the you like for you, Colin, like you could play Wild Arms. Uh, you could let's say instead you got the service and you played Wild Arms and then you play Stray. And then the next thing you want to play is God of War. Well, that's not on there. And so 
and maybe something else you play after that isn't on there. And so that's a month that you paid for and you didn't use it at all. That's also a possibility. Yeah, so, that's the that's the struggle I have because it's it is more it's kind of like that. Like it's why I try to be really mindful of canceling my especially more recently is canceling my streaming subscriptions, not because money's tight, but because it's like, why am I giving you this money? I haven't signed it in this thing in months. I'm not mm-hmm. giving I'm not paying Hulu anymore for no reason. And I, I have to cancel HBO again now that we're done with Game of Thrones because like I don't need I don't need this. I'll come. There's literally no reason. And the 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 difference here is that they kind of they can charge you monthly or by three months, but the real deal is by doing it yearly. And so they kind of enchant you with that price. But the bigger question is that, so I'm looking at the prices now, $60 for PlayStation plus essential, which is just PlayStation plus as it was. And the increase to extra is 40 bucks. So wild arms was 10. Let's say stray is 29.99. I have no idea how much it's going to cost it. It already would have just behooved me to go to that, that level after a month. And I don't know. And then another 20 bucks from there to go up to the very top. But I think that I don't I think the biggest thing for me is just not is what you said. It's not wanting this gnawing feeling of value. Like, are you getting your value? Are you getting your value? Are you sure you're getting your value? And I know that that's just going to fucking tweak me. So I think I'm going to continue to stay away, but we'll see. We'll see how compelling that uh, <laughs> that message is when Stray comes out. We'll have more to say about that next week. I think. I think we'll have more to say about it next week. Okay. Let's get into the news. Number one's a big one. The Last of Us Part 1. Naughty Dog's surprisingly contentious PS5 remake of its legendary PlayStation 3 game, The Last of Us, has gone gold. And it's done so seven, seven weeks before it's set to launch. A really nice padding that had the studio's principal environment artist, Anthony Vaccaro, proclaim on Twitter that it was his first non-crunch experience in his 13-year career at Naughty Dog and elsewhere. The game, which is slated for launch on PlayStation 5 on September 2nd and on PC at some point thereafter, isn't the first time publisher Sony has opted to relaunch the original game. A year, year after it came to PS3, that was in 2013, a remastered version came to PlayStation 4 alongside a remastered iteration of The Last of Us's lone DLC, Left Behind. However, this game isn't remastered, but entirely reworked. New models, new animation, new lighting, new gameplay. A seemingly highly refined version of the original, more crude PS3 title. However, not all are convinced. The Last of Us Part 1 has been widely berated for being a waste of time and a shameless cashing in on a popular property. However, Robert Morrison, who works as an animator at fellow Sony-owned team Ben Studio and who worked on The Last of Us Part 1, addressed the so-called cash grab allegations on Twitter, stating in part that it's, quote, the most meticulously built and crafted project that I have ever seen or been a part of in my entire career, end quote. That perhaps sounds a little more accurate to the work of a studio renowned for its craftsmanship. Yet there's also no denying the financial boost they can get from going back to the first game, particularly in light of the HBO series and coming in 2023. One common complaint, however, is that part one won't include the original game's Factions multiplayer mode, which was also included in the PS4 iteration. Instead, Factions has been promised as a full-fledged game of its own, the self-proclaimed largest game they've ever made, according to Naughty Dog itself, and what else the team is working on remains a mystery. The 2013 original has sold more than 20 million copies on PS3 and PS4, but its incredibly controversial sequel, launched on PlayStation 4 in 2020, has sold about half that. Still awesome numbers, but not amongst PlayStation's highest pantheon of sellers, including Spider-Man, God of War, and Uncharted. All right, so The Last of Us Part 1, September 2nd, PS5. It's gone gold, so it's good to go. It will certainly be hatched in between now and then, but it seems to have been made in a somewhat healthy environment, and 
people that are working on it, not surprisingly, are proclaiming it's this really sophisticated piece of work. And I have no doubt that it is. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on the game going gold. And, and I'm also curious about what you think about this kind of evolving conversation of the game being a cash grab to the point where someone you know from the studio felt the need to state otherwise that a cash grab doesn't have this much work and attention put to it, that everything is redone and you might not want it, but I don't know that cash grab is the right terminology. I'm, I'm curious what you make of all this. Yeah. In some ways, I feel like, well, something can still be uh, meticulously crafted and good and still be a cash grab at the same time. I guess people do you have different contexts of what but, that but word I'm, means. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but isn't yeah. every game a cash grab in some way? Like you're not making sure. it for an altruistic reason. Right. I think that in this specific instance, though, the, the reason why fe- people feel compelled to call it that is just that we have a very good version of this game. And so I think part of it, something I was thinking about is that part of the problem is maybe that we haven't seen gameplay of this yet at all. It's gone gold and it's kind of crazy to me that we have it. And I wonder if that was a blunder on their part to not show gameplay of this. We, We see the visuals and yeah, they're better, but one of the most common things that people have wrote to us in a, throughout our conversations over the past few weeks about this game is they're like, what about the improved gameplay? What about that? And I'm like, yeah, that's that's a great point, but it's also an unknown point. And so I've also been dealing with this uh, this thought in my head. And surely in the next year or two, I'm going to be presented with this exact same scenario only with one of my favorite games of all time, Bloodborne. And will my tune be different? Am I going to become a hypocrite when Bloodborne Return to Yarnum, whatever, is $70 on PlayStation 5 and is a reworked version of a game that came out not super long ago? This is yeah, something I mean- that has troubled me deeply. Now I thought about this and I'm like, well, I guess so, yeah. I guess my personal standing with the game very much impacts it, which I I love The Last of Us. Uh, I guess uh, in the situation between Bloodborne and and Last of Us, I guess it's just that the version of Bloodborne we have right now is not very good. So it feels more necessary. Um, It's, you know, stuck with bad frame pacing. It never got a pro update, stuff like that. So it feels more necessary. But I think it's still a very comparable situation in a lot of ways. And so I don't know. I, I feel like in my reflecting on this game and in some ways I feel like I can stand by that I don't know how I feel about this as a product but in some ways I feel like maybe I was too hasty but I think the biggest thing overall is just that there's still a lot of unknown about this product that is coming out pretty dang soon and so maybe they're just saving it because it's like we don't need to show anything like why would they this game's gonna the the game already sold 20 million they'll sell quite a few of this one as well so i feel like as a uh, commentator in this space like i i have a duty to check it out and play it um whether or not it is uh worth it i i don't know we're just i feel like gonna have to wait and see and it's one of those things that's like I don't know. I, I my my thoughts are continually evolving on this, and I, I'm I still feel greatly unsure in a lot of ways. And when I kind of try to figure out like a rule set of like what how we feel about 
when games are remade and how they're remade. And right. So I've come up with four examples of prominent PlayStation remakes. Ratchet and Clank. Demon Souls. Shadow of the Colossus. The Last of Us. So Ratchet and Clank. I'm just going through this as we go. Ratchet and Clank came out in 2002. Its remake came out in 2016. Demon Souls came out in 2009. Its remake came out in 2020. Colossus came out in 2005. Its remake came out in 2018, I think. And then The Last of Us came out in 2013. And its remake will come out in 2022. So there's 14 years between Ratchet, 11 years, Demon Souls, 13 years for Colossus, and nine years for The Last of Us. The other thing is, is that Ratchet and Demon Soul, or I'm sorry, Ratchet and Colossus both jumped two consoles. Demon Souls only jumped one. The Last of Us only jumped one. So I think that my original argument, not my argument, but just kind of like a chink in the armor was, well, why are you guys cool with Demon Souls? You know, why, why are you cool with the Shadow of the Colossus? I mean, these are remakes too. But there's a little bit more time, and I think two console distance makes a little more sense or makes things a little more palatable. So right. if you want to argue from a so-called cash grab point of view, again, keeping in mind that they're all cash grabs, then there is that argument. However, I will say that I don't think this is as much of a cash grab as we might think. I make the argument, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am, that The Last of Us is declining in popularity. That The Last of Us's peak in popularity was the first game. And we know that from sales figures. And I was looking this up in preparation for the show. The last time we heard from PlayStation about how well The Last of Us is sold, the original one, so the PS3 and PS4 version, was in 2019 when they said it surpassed 20 million copies sold. And we just heard in recent weeks that The Last of Us Part Two sold 10 million copies. You would assume that in the three years, two and a half years since we heard about The Last of Us' sales, that they probably sold millions of more copies of that game. So there's an arc downward, and I'll be interested to see how well this actually does. It might be them kind of trying to strike while the iron's hot in some way still or warmer or whatever. And also the HBO show. You want to have some, some accompaniment to that as well. But I'm excited about it. I'm going to play the shit out of it the day it comes out for sure. And the only thing I'm kind of re- considering is, is if I want to go and play for the third or fourth time, fifth time, I don't know, The Last of Us won on PS3. The Platinum's within reach. Maybe I should just go do that. But I'm mm-hmm. excited about it. So it goes gold. September 2nd, PS5 later on PC. Let's move on to number two. This is an interesting one. Before The Last of Us went gold, this was the top story. Sony had a long-established pattern when it came to studio acquisitions, one it followed virtually to a T since the brand was founded in the early 90s. However, things have changed, and a handful of its recent acquisitions, like PC port team Nix's, support studio Valkyrie, and even Destiny developer Bungie, have broken the mold. Another one of these broken mold teams is Haven, co-founded by longtime Ubisoft producer Jay Raymond, and Sony's very first team located on the game-rich devs on the game dev-rich soil. I'm sorry, of Canada. The story behind Haven's founding, which happened outside of PlayStation's walls, is fairly interesting. Raymond and a small group of people working on Google's failed Stadia initiative spun off to do something new, but work within the confines of the tech they were shepherding at Google. This means cloud gaming, games as a service, and more. Well, needless to say, Sony was interested. Literally weeks after Raymond left Google and founded Haven, without so much as a logo or website, Sony signed a deal with them, and a year later, this past March, Sony bought the team outright. The intent is obvious. Sony wants expertise in live service games and cloud gaming, and it wants to lock down talent, and perhaps biggest of all, it needs a first-party footprint in Canada. 
So with that out of the way, we come to the news, which is delivered via an article on website gamesindustry.biz. At more than 100 employees strong, the team is scaling, and if the interview on the site is any indication, Haven seems to be just as focused on tech as it was on making as it is, I'm sorry, on making a game, which sounds a lot like the reason Sony tapped Bungie as well. Here's what Jade Raymond, who runs the team, told GamesIndustry.biz in part. So this is what she says. It's interesting. Quote, we already mentioned that we built the studio in a cloud, and that was our vision since we started during the pandemic. We didn't have offices at first, and we thought, why not innovate here and avoid people having these big machines and VPNing in? We had a cloud team initially that was about six people working on new ways to work. Now we've just welcomed another 21 engineers to focus on long-term cloud innovation because we really believe it's going to be a game changer in terms of how games are made, end quote. She goes on to continue later, reflecting on her time at Google and how it still drives her, quote, the promise of cloud that we're really focusing on is more what it means to game developers. When you think about the game engines that we have around, they were all built several years ago and things have changed a lot. Our games have a lot of more data. We're making an exclusive for PS5 and it is a live service game. So we have additional challenges of how do we make that kind of game with this kind of delivery, but with the PlayStation level graphics that people expect, all while allowing for those constant updates and building something that could be a living experience. Obviously, to do that without having thousands and thousands of people, you need to work in a different way. And even if you are going to work with or even if you are going to have thousands of people on the dev team, just the amount of data that you will have to push and the way you think about those updates and keeping a game alive. There are a lot of better ways to do it, end quote. When we might see Haven's first game remains to be seen, but Sony promises some 10 live service games between now and 2026, and it's expected to be in that grouping. So. This is really interesting because when I read this interview, which I think has gone largely under the radar, surprisingly, because I guess it requires people to read. It sounds like Haven is a tool set investment that sounds more like maybe what Media Molecule is turning into than a full up studio, because we know that they are 100 strong. She said that they had seven engineers, six engineers, and they hired 21 more. So almost a third of their of their um workforce are engineers working on these solutions, she says, not even on the game or the product. This sounds like something Sony has invested in so that it can help seed other games as well. And while they're working on their own product, it sounds again like their tech is more important and their workflow is more important to what Sony can achieve, which kind of explains why they were bought into and goes back to what I was saying about Jade Raymond for a long time, which is that she's not really a creative. She's a producer. So this is kind of what you want her to do. You want organizational help from her and that's what she can add so i think we've gotten a low key a lot of texture about what haven's going to be doing i'm curious what you think yeah it's when people always bring up like cloud gaming i'm not always exactly sure what that means because it's meant different things i specifically remember during the xbox one era there's this idea that was like well xbox isn't as powerful as ps4 but it has the power of the cloud and that was always a thing that was promised and then never came to any fruition. I think there was like one multiplayer mode in Crackdown 3 that utilized some kind of cloud computing. But so I don't know if, if they mean like a game, like building a game in the cloud and making game like delivery through the cloud. Like, I don't know what that really means fully. Like, is this the way that the the data like it's like oh, okay this game is evolving so we're constantly pushing out new stuff it's like it can't exist on a disc or something like that which i'm like okay well we have a bunch of games like that right now is it the aspect of like the game people all connecting to one game server sort of like the fortnite events and things happening so it makes it feel like a more realized world 
maybe it's a combination of all of those, but I find the vague term kind of interesting just in that I don't, like I said, I don't fully know what it means. Clearly Sony sees something in it and Sony is all in, in this live service future, whether that will fully pan out. We're not totally sure yet, but uh, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's it's good to see that it seems like Sony is excited about this studio. In some ways, this piece, and I'm I'm not like this isn't an an accusation of any way, but this piece very much feels like a hey, we're doing exciting things and we're hiring more people. Come work for us. This almost feels like an ad for that, which is totally fine. That's cool. So I don't know. I wonder with them working on tech and a game, like when we could expect to see this game. So if it's sometime between now and 2026, so I guess sometime between then would make sense. Yeah. I wonder if they're the ones working on home in some way. Oh, and yeah. and I, I doubt it because it's so much Ubisoft talent that you would have to assume they're making an action game of some sort, maybe, maybe a shooter, but who knows? It's interesting to this idea that they were all evangelized at Google and then when Stadia kind of went belly up that they wanted to continue to do what they were doing there. Anyway, I don't know why you wouldn't. Why would you want to waste all that time? That explains a lot of my further inquiries that I had when this was all announced, because I thought Haven was kind of shady the way it was not shady. That's not the right word. It was kind of fly by night, though. I was the one to point it out. No website, no logo. You would just quit Google like six weeks ago. Like what? Is, what is going on here? But I think what they were doing when they got that seed money from Sony seemingly before they were purchased outright that I think they were just like, this is what, this is what we were doing. This is our vision. This is why it's important. She's talking about VPNing and all of that. I mean, this is relevant to people that are, and we've talked about on the, on the, on the show in the past, how we're getting games made with all of this data circulating. In other words, what she's saying, I think from that perspective is instead of VPNing and kind of working remotely, we all work in a shared space. That's just virtual anyway. So it all just lived there regardless of where you are. And mm. that, that is a big way of looking at game development, you know, as a big framework to accompany all of the data that's going to be streaming into these live service games. And Paul S wrote in, and I think he's right on. He says, Hey, Slit is Haven is now part of the family and they're seemingly being lauded as a first party dev or support team. Do you think this marks an even bigger shift from Sony out of acquiring for game design talent and moving to a primary focus on support, which would help them break this five year cycle for their first party games? I'm sure their new service game will be great, but it would be even better if they could help get new Gorilla's new multiplayer game out before 2025. This is kind of where my mind's at, too. And while they're working mm. on their own project, I think Sony is very keen. See, more studios, I don't think, is the answer necessarily. It's more efficient use of the assets you have. Naughty Dog and Sucker Punch and all these teams taking five or six years to make something. It's just not. It's great because the, the, the product is great, but I, it's it's got to be more efficient than that. And I think what people realize or what these companies realize and Sony seems to realize is we can create pipelines that remove entire modes of game development from the creative push of making a game. Don't worry about your PC port. Nixes will do it. You know, don't worry about your assets. Valkyrie will do it. Don't worry about your live service stuff. Bungie's going to help. Make the game. Make the game and we're going to stitch all this stuff together with production and all the rest. I think that's the intention. So, Paul, I think you're right on. I think they are making their own game because I think they need like a proof of concept. I think the, that was kind of what Dreams was with Media Molecule. It just wasn't enough of a game. There was no proof of concept of what was made with it. And uh, so I think that maybe they'll, they'll be able to 
to dodge that as well. But I think that is the intention. So instead of going and buying another Naughty Dog and another Bend and another Sucker Punch and another whatever, they're going and buying teams that make those teams better and take shit tons of stuff off their plates. If you if, if, if instead of having to go, there's a whole world of contract studios and ghost studios instead of having to go to them necessarily, y- you might, but you can go to Valkyrie and say like, oh, we need assets. We need help on this. We need you for these many months and this many, this much manpower on this project. Having those kinds of tools internally, it's revolutionary. So I'm excited about this and interested to see what comes of it. Number three. In what is the first of what will no doubt be many confusing months, PlayStation has rolled out word of new games coming to two thirds of its PlayStation Plus subscription this very month. As you'll recall, PlayStation Plus is now a three tiered system with what was regular PlayStation Plus being at the bottom end. None of this is available at those tiers. If you subscribe to the premium or extra tiers, however, you have quite a bit to look forward to beginning on July 19th. The biggest game of the bunch is an all new release, a timed exclusive, a timed console exclusive in the form of Stray, which we were talking about a third person game all about a cat. That will be available on both PS4 and PS5. Also available across PS4 and PS5 is Marvel's Avengers, Crystal Dynamics' beleaguered co-op game that you'll recall was already on PlayStation Now in early 2021. PlayStation 5 players will gain access to a big gun in the form of Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade, the PS5 port of PlayStation 4's Final Fantasy VII Remake, but with Yuffie DLC included. And PS4 players will gain access to a slew of titles, including five separate Assassin's Creed games, the two most recent Saints Row games, and an obscure second-party game, Ready, Set, Heroes, from the fall of 2019. Finally, premium members will get a couple of PSP games exclusive to their tier, 2009's Loco Roco Midnight Carnival and 2010's No Heroes Allowed. What do you think of these PlayStation? Well, we maybe should have tied this together. I'm sorry I wasn't clever enough to do that. But um, anything compelling enough here? I, I fi- Again, the value is pretty compelling. I mean, Final sure. Fantasy VII Intergrade? I'm not going to pretend I give a shit about Marvel, but Stray and Final Fantasy seven, maybe some maybe a Saints Row game in there or an Assassin's Creed game. Not so bad. What do you think? I think that the uh, what's it called? Extra. That's the the tier two is really compelling this month. They've got some real big hits. They've added just a lot of additional value to that second tier, which is great. But the the premium, the the classic tier I put out a tweet yesterday and I got some interesting responses and even Jaffe made a video about my tweet and I was like, whoa, I made it. Jaffe made a video about something I said online that we saw this with Nintendo where they introduced their classics catalog and they said, hey, we're going to be adding new stuff every month. And then pretty within a few months, it kind of started the quality of the game started to go down drastically. And I wouldn't expect every month to be like, here's 10 amazing back catalog games. I'm not expecting anything crazy, but for it to only for it to be month two and for us to get two, I don't want to say obscure, but lesser known PSP games as the addition. This is embarrassing. Like clearly they could have put like you, especially for a month two of your subscription service like give us one give us one first party ps1 game even if it was like here's siphon filter two we put the first one on last month here's two cool i just feel like this is like kind of an unacceptable two games for your highest level tier 
I don't know. And it's no disrespect to, I've not played either one of these games, Loco Roco, Minute No, they're pretty obscure titles. I mean, that's, that's an obscure Loco Roco title. And yeah. Yeah. I, I totally hear what you're saying. I, again, I'm less obsessed by this because I'm not worried about the value proposition because I'm not involved, which is kind of like the, the yeah. great advantage that I've been talking about. However, I will say that, my, and this is a Colin thing, but these PSP games don't have trophies and they can. Mm. And I know ones with trophies were, are coming, but I just want them to kind of put the work in for some of this, like Super Stardust Portable, which is Housemark's port of their 2007 PS3 game for PSP came out on the service last month and kind of quietly and no trophies. It's like, well, what, what's going on here? Let's let's be consistent. So there's that as well. Number four, British studio Supermassive. No, I feel like we're talking about them all the time. Known at yeah. one time for its close relationship to PlayStation as a second party team has a new parent company, Nordisk Film. You may recall that the movie company based out of Denmark and owned uh, an owner of Just Cause Team Avalanche Studio and co-owner of one time Castlevania Team Mercury Steam, among others, bought 30 percent of Supermassive in 2021. They are now ready to fully close the deal. As a movie-centric company, Nordisk's interest in Supermassive is obvious. The team is most renowned for its story-driven horror games that read a lot like films, and there's no doubt Nordisk sees huge potential there. However, it's unclear if and how Supermassive will continue to work with other publishers or entities, noting that Nordisk's other properties have been have pretty loose relationships. Avalanche is even working on an Xbox exclusive. So this may not mean much of anything for Supermassive's existing relationships, most notably in the form of an eight-game deal it signed with Japanese publisher Bandai Namco that should ultimately constitute eight separate games in the ongoing Dark Pictures anthology, which began with Man and Madon in 2019. The fourth game in that series, The Devil in Me, comes to PS4 and PS5 later in 2022. Supermassive also released The Quarry back in June, a game meant to be a Stadia exclusive that was picked up late in development by Take-Two and published under the 2K brand. As for Supermassive's work with PlayStation, their most famous PlayStation project is no doubt the 2015 cult favorite PS4 exclusive Until Dawn. However, Supermassive made nearly a dozen projects for Sony starting in 2009, including PlayStation Move-centric games, Little Big Planet DLC, the PS3 port of PlayStation 2's first Killzone game, and a slate of VR titles. It last published a game with Sony in 2018. Not much to say here, probably, but uh, what do you think? Supermassive in the this growing Nordisk family that includes... Mercury, Steam, and Avalanche. Yeah, I, I'm looking at this company's Wikipedia page right now, and it's really interesting because on the film side, I don't really know much of what they've worked on. I know that it says here that they were, uh, they co-produced and did the distribution of Midsummer in Scandinavia, but that's the only movie on this list that I, I recognize. And so looking here, it's they have a... They also have the leading cinema chain in Denmark and Norway with expansion to Sweden. And so this is kind of a weird company in that they're it. You would think that movies would be their bread and butter, but they haven't released a movie since 2019. And so I guess maybe this is the way that they're looking just to expand their their revenue is that they have some some game studios. I wonder if at some point Nordisk film becomes Nordisk games or something like that because clearly there's an interest there but yeah I, I'm curious to see how this plays into their other partners with Bandai Namco uh, with Supermassive but and what this means but hopefully someone got a nice payday from this all right number five gaming website Dexerto I think I say that right I don't know if I'm saying it right has dug up a rather confusing piece of news it appears Electronic Arts' own team Respawn is working on a single-player game in the Apex Legends universe. This, of course, makes no sense. 
since Apex Legends was originally a multiplayer only game set in the Titanfall universe. By cobbling together scant information on Respawn's jobs pages, it becomes clear, according to the website, that Respawn is working on what they describe as a, quote, Apex Universe FPS incubation title, end quote, elsewhere reiterating it's a, quote, brand new Respawn single player adventure, end quote. Otherwise, we're going to have to wait for more information. Respawn, which was founded in 2010 and purchased by EA in 2017, released its first game, the online-only Titanfall, in 2014. It never came to PlayStation platforms, but its sequel, 2016's Titanfall 2, did. There's a fly flying around here. My Dude, God. they've been all over my house the last few days. I don't understand I it. it. Uh, where was I? Blah, blah, blah. Founded by Infinity Ward founders Vince Zampella and Jason West, the team's pedigree for shooters was well-established, and it brought that into the live service free-to-play space with 2019's PS4 title Apex Legends, which came to PS5 earlier this year. Apex Legends was explicitly described as a Titanfall spinoff, making a game taking place in the universe seemingly redundant. That said, they're likely casting a net to find people to make a game more aligned with their far more popular product. Respawn is also toiling away on three Star Wars games, making them a very busy team, a busy team indeed. Their sequel to 2019's Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Survivor, comes to PlayStation 5 this fall, while a mysterious Star Wars-themed FPS and another game in the form of a strategy title are also in the offing. I don't understand what's going on here. Am I crazy? I thought Apex Legends was a Titanfall game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now they're making a game in the Apex Legends universe, but that's the Titanfall universe. Right. No? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And actually, uh, I heard the, the Dukes talking about this this week, and this is Cog was like, no, you don't do this. You don't do this to Titanfall. And I like totally agree. Uh, but I guess I get it from a marketing perspective is that Apex has surpassed everything that titanfall was in many ways and so it's kind of like yeah apex is now the prime title around this universe and it's somewhat comparable in some ways to what happened with uh shimigami tensei and persona is that i remember some people were confused about smt5 they're like is this like a persona type game and it's like no this is actually what the, the prime version of that is is SMT and so I guess that happens every once in a while when you have some kind of spin-off that is more successful than the original then the original kind of gets fallen by the wayside but Colin the most important thing here is Respawn taking on too much how many people are at this team how can they handle this many projects at once it seems deeply concerning to me at least yeah I think this is where I think this is what bought ha bit Halo Infinite in the ass and 343 in the ass, too, is that you expect when you have this many games going on or a really big game that your headcount internally can't keep up with is that you hire external help, either in the form of freelancers and contractors or other studios. And I wouldn't be surprised if the other studios working on Apex Legends games, quote unquote, were, were extensive and not only within EA's circle of studios, but outside as well, because, yeah, I think there are three or four hundred strong, not. That's big, but it's not huge. I mean, that's enough to make maybe two games at once. So it, it is interesting to to see. But Respawn is the is the the crown jewel right now. EA has and they really have to take care of them and nurture them. And I agree. This could just be nomenclature. In other words, they're just saying like, yeah, it's the same. We understand it's the same. We're just hiring for a game. We're not like saying it's an Apex Legends game. Like we, we know it's our game. Like we understand. So it could just be that. But it's uh, slow right now. So let's talk about it nonetheless. And finally, Number six, an episode or two ago, we discussed Sony's new PC gaming brand InZone, remembering, of course, that PlayStation is its own company owned by Sony. 
Inzone would sit alongside PlayStation, but work with work, work great with PlayStation 5. However, the offerings are squarely aimed at PC players. And in an enlightening piece from Japanese publication Nikkei, we, we now know a little more about Sony's intentions. As relayed by website Video Games Chronicle, Sony's Kazuo Ki described the PC monitor situation on the market as, quote, a landscape of warring states, end quote, as in there is no clear cut winner or dominant player and lots of brands, which plays well into Sony's decades long strength in televisions and monitors. He said in part, quote, Sony is unique in that we come from a background in TV manufacturing. We take pride in our picture technology. We look forward to showing customers our immersive experience and realism, end quote. And while they'd like PlayStation players dollars, they're not exactly looking for that. Hence the new name and separate brand, quote, we're going to start at the top and learn what top esports gamers want. The vision we have in mind is that of Mizuno and Nike providing shoes for athletes. You can win prize money in esports. If a monitor's response time lags even slightly, you lose. Sony products aren't going to let people engage in these grueling battles down, end quote. To reiterate, Sony offers mo- some monitors and headphones under the InZone brand all throughout the summer and beyond. So clarifications, Dustin, on InZone. I'm a little more convinced why they wouldn't use PlayStation. I was kind of wondering that at first. Like, why wouldn't you just leverage PlayStation? However, why wouldn't you just leverage Sony? See, I just don't I don't understand this this branding at all. I just think it sucks. The brand InZone. Yeah, it just it's just lame. It just sounds lame. It sounds cheap. It's. I know that for some people, it, it, it's like this out there, like a Sony electronic. It's not so much me. I don't have Sony TVs or anything, but some people just like love Sony electronics like they they my brother is one of those people and they'll buy Sony shit, Sony electronics, Sony monitors, Sony TV, Sony, whatever. And that name actually does carry a lot of weight. That name, Sony, the name, Sony name is carried away for like 50 years in terms of of uh, consumer electronics. So we have a little more clarity here. They want to kind of become a sponsor, like a Nike like sponsor of. But that to me is so interesting because so you're going to be sponsored by InZone. The fuck does that mean? Like, wouldn't you want to be sponsored? Like, wouldn't Sony want them to be sponsored by Sony? I don't right. know. It's very confusing. I'm confused by this, but maybe I'm just not smart enough. Uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, Sony does that with their TVs, though, as well, where I believe it's Bravia, right? Is yeah, the... Bravia is, but it's but it's Sony Bravia, right? True. Like, yeah. Yeah. So and Sony Trinitron and Sony Vio and all of those things, right? It was always Sony mini disc and, and so on. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Yeah, the, the branding is a bit confusing, but I think what's most compelling about what he's saying about there being no clear winner in the PC monitor space. And in the research that I've done, that definitely seems to be true to the point where uh, people like me are using TVs. Like my primary monitor here on my left side is an LG C10 48 inch OLED screen. It's massive. It's stupid. It's, but it's awesome at the same time. But I got this because I knew I wanted to be able to play 4K HDR 120 FPS, but the HDR actually be good. And no monitors have had good HDR basically up until this point. And so, and more recently. And so it sounds like from what I'm looking at at all these reviews is that people are overall very impressed with Sony's monitor overall. So this idea of them like, yeah, we're using our our TV know-how and we're making a monitor that's really good. And that seems to be the case doesn't seem like they hit it completely out of the park yet and that there are some annoying aspects. People don't like the stand that it's on is one of the main things that I'm seeing. But overall, it seems like a really, really strong first outing in this area. And 
yeah, I think there is a possibility that they could become a market leader as long as they stay competitive and improve on the things that they screwed, not screwed up, but could have done better on in this first one. So it's it's cool. And like I said before, this is clearly Sony wanting interested in the esports market. Over and over, we see this. They their purchase of Evo, making these monitors. It, clearly, these these monitors are going to be the exclusive monitor used at Evo. You're going to see them everywhere, and they have that distinct design that has like that two tone PlayStation Five design on them. So, it seems like they're kind of building this entire ecosystem around esports with headphones, uh, the place to watch it, the monitors. Eventually, this controller that we've heard rumors about clearly a, a strong level of interest from right Sony. i wonder if that controller is not gonna be a playstation controller per se but an in-zone controller that works with mm. ps5 and pc yeah it, to me i don't know if it quite tracks but the reason this doesn't make sense is we have playstation productions right and mm. that's a movie studio and they didn't go and say like oh we're naming ourselves you know abc studio and they're like why it's like, well we're not playstation we're making movies over here and it's like yeah but you're making PlayStation movies and Sony movies, right? Like oh, that's combining our stuff. So why confuse the message? See, I would have instead of in zone, it would have been cool to have like they have PlayStation Studios, PlayStation Productions, PlayStation. That's the movie thing. PlayStation Productions, PlayStation Studios is the studio house or whatever. They could have had like PlayStation Manufacture or PlayStation something that would have been like the, the hardware and like kind of message that I just think it's because when in zone is sponsoring Evo, how does that benefit PlayStation? It benefits Sony. But right. these are two different things. I mean, Sony owns PlayStation. PlayStation is its own entity under Sony. So this seems to be that's going to be more like this. I think kind of like Bungie coming in alongside PlayStation Studios. But we'll see. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm overthinking it, but I, I don't think I am. I just think that when you have a name, you want to nail the name. You want to like just. But I understand that there's a I don't know. I always maybe I'm just always misinterpreting it, but I always felt like PC gamers didn't have beef with PlayStation gamers. They wanted PlayStation games. You know, I thought it was PlayStation gamers that more were like crying, like crying PlayStation Wojak yeah. when games would go to PC. Right. Yeah. So like, who, so I don't think there's any beef there where it would be like, oh, I don't want a PlayStation monitor. But anyway, I digress. Let's get into the uh, listener inquiries that we end every episode of Sacred Symbols with. Of course, as we said earlier, you can go to Patreon, patreon.com slash Media. Support us over there and you can get your inquiries on the show. Let's start with Zach Yearwood, who says, hey, Papa C with the big DC. God of War Ragnarok outside of Spider-Man 2 and Wolverine is the last known upcoming release for PlayStation Studios that we currently know of for PS5. What do you guys predict the lineup for PS3 will be? If a game you predict is a live service game, what type of genre or game do you think it will be? This will be fun. What will Sony's first and second party triple A lineup look like in 2023, Dustin? Well, I think that one of the major aspects is going to be PlayStation VR, of course. Maybe that's obvious, but the biggest question, of course, is... How much is Sony going to put into it from a software perspective? Because I think that was one of the areas that they kind of lacked on with PlayStation VR is that there was a lot of cool stuff they did. But why not leverage the powers, the power of your IP 
in order to sell this thing because that's one of the most valuable things that Sony has. And so we've already got a, a glimpse of that with the Horizon game that Fire Sprite is making for PlayStation VR 2. But I wonder, I mean, clearly uh, Astro is going to be there in some capacity. But I feel like if you could do like a, like a, a trifecta of things in, in different genres. So I don't know if that would mean like, uh, what was that game? Firewall. Is is firewall something they could do in a second party capacity? Uh, you know, yeah, I, assume fi- I assume firewall will definitely come back for PSVR too. Or I um, wonder if you take that team um, and then partner them and make a a SOCOM VR game because it kind of already felt like that's what that could have been. But I'm trying to think outside of PlayStation VR. I mean. Sony's kind of only doing two or three things from their first party a year. So they already said Spider-Man 2 for 2023. So surely there's one or two other things plus VR. So I'm trying to think who's like up, like who's next to go, really. Yeah, I mean, if we go through it, it's not Bend. Right. It's not going to be Blue Point. Fire Sprite, maybe. Um, Gorilla, I think, will have something to go, ready to go for their we other team. See- yeah, we keep seeing Insomniac rolling all these games. I think Gorilla is going to start rolling games like that too, and I think that will be Killzone or SOCOM. That's my theory. And then, yeah, Housemark's not ready. Haven will be ready for a while. Insomniac. So, Spider-Man Two will be first. I don't think Wolverine and Spider-Man are going to come out in the same year. I think that would be stupid to do that. So, I don't think that's going to happen. London, maybe I, they're kind of more casual media molecule i mean i the thing about media molecule is i feel like they could come out with a game at any moment because they've not released a game in 10 years so at any moment i think that media molecule and that would be awesome i think that would be so cool if media molecule released a triple a game built entirely on dreams that you sold for 70 bucks justify your fucking shit you know like, right. let's get going on this so that would be cool naughty dog they'll have the last of us out there, they're not gonna be ready to go pixel Wait, opus they what, haven't what about got factions though Oh, yes, yeah, factions, factions the live service game. I feel like that's you know they're, they're saying factions. that this is going to be big enough that it could be its own product. And I, I'm thinking this aligns with the the Sony focus on live service. That seems like that would be a, a potential home run for that. Oh, sorry. I'm writing notes here. So, yeah, Polyphony. No, San Diego. No, Santa Monica. No, Sucker Punch. No, Asobi. So. I'm just writing things down. So here's what here's a prediction. If there are four. Uh, not including VR, because I think Fire Sprite will go next year. They're going to go with Horizon, but that's yeah. not really what we're talking about. I think. Yeah, this makes sense. Something like. Some well, the four games we would get factions, Gorillas game, Spider-Man 2 and something from the second party that we don't know about yet from the live service. And that's probably fairly conservative because. There's so much that they haven't said yet. I mean, it is true. Like the letter said, who was it again? Zach. It's true, man. God of War Ragnarok's out. The only games that we know about are Spider-Man 2 and Wolverine, which are both licensed games from the same studio. I mean, that and we know about factions, but we really don't. You know, we don't really know a lot about these projects. We know things are going on, but we don't really know. I don't consider that gospel until there's a solid leak or an announcement. And that's what makes it so interesting. So that's my prediction. Something like that. Two things I want to ask you, Colin. Just wild cards. Number one, Metal Gear Solid. 
this is, I feel like, was a very hot rumor until it wasn't. You know yeah. what I mean? That would be crazy. I mean, that would be crazy. I mean, you could imagine that they were trying to line something up for the 35th anniversary and it's just not ready because COVID intervened or something like that. So, yeah, the, the, the second party possibilities are huge. Also, we shouldn't forget Final Fantasy seven. Part two and Final Fantasy 16 are both coming as well from the second party is KOTOR coming next mm. year as well. I don't know. So there's a few there are a few second party games that we know about, of course, and third party games. I mean, those are all third party exclusives, but KOTOR is kind of a second party exclusive, but it is going to come to everything, I think. So I don't know how that's exactly going to work. Maybe Sony will publish it everywhere, but. Oh, how about this too? Hmm. Bloodborne. You are you are a leaker of some Bloodborne info in the past. Uh, How do you feel about that? I was but as I said, I was checked by another source about that Bloodborne information. We we went over that right uh, a couple months ago. So I don't know. Like what I was told about Bloodborne doesn't seem to be true. I trust the person that told me. So this is why I was telling about how I think plans change. Like just on that note. Isn't it just Occam's razor, like simplest explanation? You were saying Bloodborne has been untouched. Isn't that weird? That's not weird to anyone. Like as if something was supposed to happen, (laughs) you know, or like things were supposed to happen. Maybe it wasn't working out. Bloodborne's a big deal. So they want to get it right. Remember too, Japan studio doesn't exist anymore. So the production pipeline doesn't exist anymore for that game. And from software doesn't, they're busy with a lot of other stuff and a lot of other suitors. So, but yes, that is also a conspicuous absence. And I also think that we're going to see more remakes, maybe re-releases. Mm-hmm. I would love to see the Killzone trilogy. I would love to see the Resistance trilogy just brought over Infamous, the rest. But we'll see. Now I'm getting pie in the sky. But I will say for 2023, big games from first party, Factions, something from Guerrilla, Spider-Man 2, and then something from the second party, that's an exclusive, not a third party exclusive. So one of these live service games, maybe from Firewalk or whatever. It's a little early for them, but all right. Next question comes from Clayton Smith, who says, hey, guys, I was just wondering if either of you have upgraded your PS5 storage yet. As SSD prices have steadily declined, I recently took the plunge and picked up the Cerny approved Western Digital Black SN850. Figured this was a timely question with the news of PlayStation officially partnering with this brand of SSD. Thanks. What do you think about uh, upgrades? Have you have you upgraded your PS5 yet? I must say. I haven't come up against any sort of limit storage limitations that have required me to even think about this, especially because it seems like PS5 deals much more judiciously with data. Remember, we had to download the packet on PS4, so you had to have twice as much space as you needed, and then they would delete Mm, the packet. That doesn't seem to happen anymore on PS5. PS5 also more dynamically reads space. It doesn't require you to restart it sometimes and stuff to make make it read what's going on there. So even at, what is it, 750 uh, gigs? I think that's what it is. Around that. It's... it's perfectly ample for me i must say my theory although it's obvious games are getting smaller like they totally are and ps4 packages are often bigger than ps5 packages which is funny because the ssd allows for better use of assets so i just haven't been challenged and so there's no reason for me to even think about this so i have not have you upgraded or are you going to upgrade i haven't and i've thought about it before but i think i'm in the case with you in that there's been a few times where i've put in a game like a disc and it's told me that I'm full and I need to delete something. But it's super simple because I just go in and I'm like, oh, haven't pl- I'm done with that. Haven't played that. I'm not going to go back to that in a while. Just delete it real fast. And so 
the amount of inconvenience that I've had from it has been so minimal that it's not worth the 100, 150, whatever it is now to upgrade. I'm perfectly fine just deleting stuff as it stands. But Colin, a big thing to, I think, acknowledge is that you and I do not play live service games like Warzone or Destiny or whatever. Well, I mean, I play Destiny, but I don't play those on console. I play those on PC where I have tons of storage there. And so a lot of those high data games are not living on our PlayStation. So it's a very different scenario. But it's great to see that those prices are coming down uh, finally. So make sure to get the right one, though, with the heatsink, because that does apparently make a big difference in load times. Robbie Deadman. Oh, I'm sorry. Robbie, I'll get to you next. You're not up yet. Next. Right. Robbie, stand down. Yeah. Anton K wrote in and said, hey, my favorite slits. I'm done buying games at release. This whole new feature of adding 120 hertz mode, allowing 40 frames at native 4K with RT pisses me off. This mode is such a huge boost in fidelity, but we're seeing it months after release. This isn't some simple patch to fix bugs or stability, which often happens after release. This directly affects the quality of the game being played. I don't understand why this isn't included at launch, and now I'm going to wait to buy first party releases until they add this. Maybe I'll even get the game at at a discount. Dustin, stand down. You know why. Do I? I don't know. He said he mm. claims that you do. Okay. This is um this is a powerful proclamation and and I and I agree because I've often said, I've long said, you're not if you if you don't care about the zeitgeist and you have patience, then why wouldn't you just wait? It's kind of how I feel about movies. I could go to the movie theater and pay 15 or 20 dollars and go see the movie and you know have some popcorn or whatever or I can just fucking rent it in a few months for $3 on Amazon. And I don't give a shit about the movie enough to go and deal with that out of the comfort of my own home. Sometimes I do, but most of the time I don't. So while I buy some games at launch, I'm perfectly happy to wait. And I often say that games are and should be and are going to be worth more than $70, that the scale will go up. The scale certainly needs to go down for a lot of these games. I mean, I think that's where people misunderstand me. So waiting it out Paying less for the game, this benefits you. You're getting a better game, a more stable game. I've held off on Cyberpunk. I've held off on Dying Light 2. I still haven't played these games because of how broken they were. And maybe they're fixed now, but they also have this little nugget in my mind where I'm like, "Mm, eh. I don't know if I I don't know if I want to play these games now because of that. I will. I can't resist Dying Light 2, of course. But um, but I understand what you're saying. And I, I just think that if you don't if you just have patience, why wouldn't you wait? What do you think? Yeah, this is incredibly frustrating, particularly I think his main thing that he's referencing is the new updates for Horizon, because we had a huge conversation on this show about the uh, performance mode and how uh, like grainy it looked. It had some some issues. And now not only is the performance mode way better, but they added this 40 FPS mode with VRR that's supposed to be really, really great. And so, yeah, it's it's frustrating that these features aren't ready. But I, I, I don't know. From a, a dev perspective, you have to imagine that you're coming down the line and you're trying to fix up a bunch of other stuff. And this is probably kind of lower on the totem pole. And so for people that are obsessed with fidelity and stuff like that, then, yeah, it is 100 percent in your best interest to to wait a little bit. But at the same time, I I get the the benefit of playing it in the zeitgeist. If you're part of if you're an active participant in this community 
and I say this community, I mean, whether it's Last Stand or gaming at large, where you're friends to play games, being the one out not playing sucks because you can't talk about it and your friends got to tiptoe around you, not spoil, spoil stuff that it has um, a noticeable con to not necessarily play at release. So it's one of those things you just got to weigh it out and, and decide what is most worth it for you. But I think that the, the main thing is that I just wish these modes were ready at launch uh, completely. But yeah, no, I agree with that. I, it makes you wonder. I know that these are this is like marketing stuff to get people to like, oh, pay attention, pay attention. Like, let's get a little because as I say, two, three weeks out, you're not selling a lot of games anymore with rare exception. So you need to have little bumps. How sure. you get people's attention? DLC bump, update bump. Frame rate new game bump. plus yeah new game plus all that kind of stuff so but it's frustrating because that wasn't an option back in the day so we had more like chrono trigger didn't have a downloadable new game plus it had new game plus when you played it it, it was there from the very beginning and so i understand people's frustrations with this i know that there are going to be rare exceptions to what i'm about to say but i will say that with some proclamative authority that if you wait you are never going to get a worse game like if, if you just let a game get its updates and settle in and give it some time, it's always going to be better than it was at launch. I'm sure there's some random exception, but not really. <laughs> I mean, it's just going to get better and better and better. And so holding the financial fire to them is good. Saying I'm not going to pay $70 for this is good if that's how you feel. All right. Robbie Deadman wrote in. So you're you're up now, Robbie. I'm sorry about that. Sorry to send your heart a flutter. He said, hey, Slitter boys, is there a make a JRPGs great again? Psyop or program running in the background of this degenerate simulation. Square Enix alone has Diofeld Chronicles, Valkyrie Elysium, Star Ocean, Near Automata for Switch, all allegedly coming out before 2023. Not even including Final Fantasy 16 and Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth, both coming out next year. And that's just Square, which doesn't even include the future releases for Dragon Quest and Kingdom Hearts or the rumored remake of nine Atlas is finally shitting out Persona into PC and other consoles like they have digital diarrhea. Then there's a new Xenoblade two Legends of Heroes from Falcom, Ayudin Chronicles, Sea of Stars and probably more stuff coming out. Basically, if there's a time to revitalize franchises like Wild Arms or Shadow Hearts, it's got to be during this generation now. Um, so, yeah, well, he asked for Chris to use his powers. He's not here. Um, but he asks if, if we uh, had to pick one series to revive, which would it be? This is perfect for you and I, Dustin. And it's true. We do feel like we're living in a bit of a role playing game renaissance. I really do believe that most of the PS2 era and the PS3 era by by and large was just inundated with shit that made JRPGs fall from one of the, the most renowned genres with the highest scores to one of the lowest genre, lowest you know, Japanese trash kind of genres. And it's like, well, it wasn't always like this. And while there were exceptions, Nino Kuni, et cetera, during the PS3 era, it really wasn't great. And there has been this steady climb. And I think a lot of it comes from a game like I am Setsuna being allowed to be made at Square Enix or allowing yourself to make smaller games. Find the spirit of what made these games special. These weren't AAA games per se. They didn't take years to make. Now, that's re that's a requirement now, but it was, ooh, but it, it wasn't back then. And so I knocked my camera down. Sorry. And with my feet there on my wire. So to me, I look at it and I'm just like, well, let's um, let's get down to brass tacks. And I think they've really done that. And he's leaving out so many games. You know, Live Alive just came out on Switch. They've been releasing Saga Frontier. They released Chrono Cross. You know, all of the second uh, 
Psych and Dead Setsu stuff. And there's a lot, man. You had brought up Shin Megami Tensei and mm-hmm. it feels like the old days again. So how are you feeling about the role playing, the JRPG kind of resurgence? And what would you like to see come back? Wild Arms, of course, is my answer. And yeah. And I agree. Now is the time. And I think Legend of Dragoon now is the time, too. I think at the very least to get that game out on the new services with trophies so people can play around with it and see what they think. Yeah, it's exciting. And it's one of those things where I I feel like with there being so many JRPGs right now that look awesome or that have come out recently that have been awesome. If I think a lot of people are close minded to these games because they saw an anime when they were a kid or just have have decided they don't like anything that's anime. And I'm just telling you that you're missing out. Like we're, we are eating so good over here when it comes to JRPGs and just Japanese games in general that open up your mind a little bit, check some of these out, especially if you have one of these services where you can play some, one of these for free. Like what's stopping you? Just, just try something different. But yeah, it's it's incredibly exciting and it's it's sad at the same time to see Sony who like you said had or still has a lot of great IP in the JRPG space and they've completely just kind of moved out of Japan. Shut down Studio Japan and it's it's weird because it's like they kind of did that at the wrong time because Japanese games and anime is so incredibly popular right now all over the world, in particular in the United States, which is the market they are going for the most. And so there could have been a beautiful opportunity here. But now I think they're just going to have to probably get second parties to make some of these games if they do decide to do that. So as far as I'm trying to think of JRPGs, I want to see come back the the first thing that came to my mind is not a jrpg but a japanese game and that's Mega Man legends of course i want to see Mega Man stuck on the moon and so we got to get him off and they almost did one but then it's gone now i'd love to see again this one isn't so long ago and i know they just did a mobile game but i'd love to see a nino kuni 3 would be incredible full console game would be great and then i'm trying to think of old stuff i i didn't when i was real young i didn't play a lot of jrpgs outside of pokemon so i don't i'm not quite as in tune with a lot of the the older ones well i agree with you that it's it's good to be open-minded these games aren't for everyone but like i was saying watching the ending of wild arms it's so touching you know know, my my lip was like quivering i was like oh my god Mm. this is so sad and it's like i agree open your mind to these different experiences it might not be for you but it probably is in some sense for you if you give it enough of a shine so yes it would be cool to see jrpgs come back it's nice to see jrpgs have this renaissance they're not quite back to full strength yet but i think we can get back there and people are paying more attention to them and it's all about quality you know wild arms is a quality game final fantasy 4 is a quality game chrono triggers a quality game dragon quest is a quality game and you had brought up nino kuni which is a great example level five is a very worthy partner for sony i I long imagine that sony would have been interested in purchasing them but it never came to be and they were the shepherds of two really important ps2 role-playing game series in the form of dark cloud and rogue galaxy so it would be cool to see them kind of come back and do one of those as well there's a lot of opportunity and that's why i think sony doesn't need to buy square enix because they have plenty to work with 
they don't need other IP. They, they really need talent. And you can get that from Square Enix, but there's plenty of talent you can cobble together. Finally, Ben Breeden wrote in and said, hey, boys, just wanted to touch on the Sly Cooper talk last week. I'm a lifelong Sly fan as well as a realistic person, so I totally understand why Sucker Punch no longer working on Sly makes sense. However, I want to hear your thoughts on Ratchet and Insomniac as well. Ratchet never really went away the same way that Sly did. However, nobody seems to say that Insomniac continuing to make Ratchet games is below that studio's talents. Is it just the type of game itself? Do we not think Sucker Punch could be capable of delivering a true return to a form of for Sly, a la Ratchet in 2016? Or is it Insomniac just that much of a bigger studio that they get the luxury to continue making Ratchet in addition to their new Marvel offerings? I think it's kind of the latter more than anything, Ben. I mean, it's hard to say for sure, but if you pick and choose one of your... This is like I said, I know some people don't like it, but... It, if you pick and choose your mascot platformers, I just think Ratchet wins over Sly Cooper. Ratchet's always been more relevant than Sly Cooper. Now, Ratchet had a really dark period from after A Crack in Time came out in 2009 to the 2016 remake. So there were six or seven years in there where it wasn't good. There were a lot of Ratchet games released in that time, but they weren't very notable. And it certainly seemed like the series was falling off. But 2016 showed that there was a great future in Ratchet. Sucker Punch never had the opportunity to do that. Sanzaru did. And some people like Sly 4. I liked it. Some people didn't. But I just think you have to kind of pick and choose. Insomniac is structured and has been structured for a long time as two studios, two separate places, a place in North Carolina and a place in Burbank, California. And so it's easy to imagine a situation where they can keep churning out totally independent games from each other. And that's what they're doing. Not to say there's not any cross pollination. Of course, there is. But that's what they've basically done. So I just think it's a unique situation. They've made their choice. And I think that they've chosen Ratchet. So it's not that Sly's bad. It's not that there's an inherently anything bad about it. It's that you just don't want redundant products. And it's the same thing I said about Infamous. Why in God's name would you want an Infamous game to compete with the Marvel games? You have the cream of the crop superhero game. Four of them, ultimately, you're going to have at least when all said and done in Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, Miles Morales and Wolverine. I mean, that's the very least you're going to get. I mean, that's worth way more than an Infamous game. So that's my take. What do you think? Do you have anything to add to this, Dustin? Yeah, I I feel like um, as far as the idea of like we we've talked about Naughty Dog being well and above making uh, a a Jack game or something like that, and is Insomniac kind of starting to be in that same boat? And I almost feel like that might be true now. N- not that the last the the last Ratchet and Clank game was bad by any means, but I kind of wonder, like, it was, for me, it was, like, a good experience. I enjoyed playing it, and now I'm, it kind of, like, blends in my mind with the the one before it, the 2016 remake. And so, I'm almost of the opinion that I'm, like, maybe they should put Ratchet down and focus on bigger and better things. Because I didn't feel like the last one really um, evolved in ways outside of, like, yeah, it was a, a beautiful game on PlayStation 5. The graphics were incredible, but... I don't know if I need more ratchet from them personally. So I don't know as far as uh sly, I don't know if I have anything that's worthwhile saying about sly. I've never played a sly game yeah, yeah. ever. That's fine. So that's fine. But yeah, we'll, we'll leave the conversation about the mascots and all the rest there for now. But um, Dustin, that's all we have for this episode. It's a shorter episode than usual. We don't have Chris. So this would have been yeah. easily a four plus hour episode, but Chris is dying. So, Yep. Who knows if we'll have another one again. Do you have any closing comments? Closing comments. No, I feel like uh, we pretty much 
covered it other than uh, I'm excited to play more Final Fantasy, hunt more games this weekend, and uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm at a loss for words. It sounds point. like it. it sounds yeah. like it. Uh, all right. Well, appreciate all of you guys out there. I'm going to go in the pool. Read. Hell yeah, dude. Out, go float around. And uh, that's it. So, yeah, it's a nice day out. It says it's 90 degrees out. So it's a perfect day for that. But we perfect. appreciate your your love, kindness and support of all things sacred symbols and last stand media. Of course, defining Duke and knockback as well. Support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash last stand media by merch last dot store. Go over there for T-shirts, stickers and all the rest. And of course, leave us nice reviews on iTunes, YouTube, uh, subscribe, comment, do whatever you got to do. Watch us and listen to us however you'd like. We appreciate you. And we'll see you next time. Until then. Goodbye. See ya. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Steven Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLVFMA, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald John Vader, Stephen Innerfield, Andrew Roman, Lord Starscream, Jacob Donovan, Eduardo Perez, Salty Trees, My Name is Fucking Mayo, Logan Byford, GJ, Eddie Medina, Jason R. Zahn, Christopher Nog, Zeno Adam, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Blake Nesbitt, Nuclear Prostate, Sort of Serious Gaming, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parrix, Henry Groth, Relentless Rex, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Renegade, Graham, Christian R, Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Brian Hernandez Espinoza, Chris Kelly, Remington Wilson, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Jalapeno, Josh Allen Rui, Quinton Thedens, Michael Buffel, Dan Root, Asak Paredes, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Andreas Wessling, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Daniel Johnson, H. Tronch, Trey W., Antonio C., Jay Getter, Assassinated Devil, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, Of Fortuna, John Zile, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Gavin Newland, Alex Lapierre, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Matt Flowers, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Antti Kinnanen, Chris, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Simon Dunbar, D.B. Cooper, Fat Houdini, Richter 86, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algaret, Dominic, Mike Menzel, Richard Heber III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Betty Ann Moriarty, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Tom Quinn, Spencer F., Anton K., Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zuniga, Robbie Hensley, Shane Miller, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixie, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, The Rose Experience and Grizzled Veteran Media, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmort, Geo Corsi, Joey Gondoliker, Gerald Pennington, Justin Payne, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Ashley Carlson, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Carper, Mad Mock Media, and Jonathan Rice. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, 
it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.